Hey everybody, this is Brett. And I'm Christian. And you're listening to the Gilded Films Podcast. The best of 2020. We are here. We are here to discuss not which picture was best. We will be back with that, though. But this is going to be the top 10 of 2020. It was a very weird year, a very weird year for uh, how we went about seeing a lot of these movies. I'm looking at mine and I'm pretty sure like my top 10, I only saw one of them in an actual theater setting. So, yeah, um, it's me, Christian. How you doing? Uh, Brett is also here. What's up? Hello, hello. And of course, we have the one, the only, the Zay. Thank God. I mean, hi, everyone. <laughs> Which you're actually looking at you right now. You're like actually frozen, but we can hear you. So. Oh, cool. Well, y'all are frozen and I can hear you. So I guess switching the Wi-Fi did not matter. <laughs> well, I guess at least we can hear okay. Yeah, because we don't, we're not actually like watching ourselves. We're supposed to be hearing it. So. Yeah, that's how it goes. Good I mean, point. We, with this pandemic, we just can't do podcasts in the same room together anymore. <laughs> I would always make an eight-hour journey to go and record podcasts with you guys. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then Brett decided to move. So now we have to do this in what three different time zone situations. Yep, yep. We still need to get an episode where we just add the fourth in Pacific time. And, you know, that might be a new record, so... But good point, Christian, about uh, movie theater. I just did not even think of that. And yeah, not a single film in my top 10 was one that I saw in a movie theater. So it's kind of sad, but. I saw three of mine. So oh. in... all right. I thought the beginning of 2020 was actually pretty good. I thought it was like a very good start to movies. <laughs> and then everything died. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's the thing. Like, I, I, I definitely, I don't buy into the narrative out there that 2020 was a super weak year, regardless of everything wow. happening. Obviously, we had some that we didn't get to see that we'll see later, but still a lot of good movies this year. I saw a lot that I really enjoyed. And like every year, I had trouble picking 10 um, and narrowing things down. So good movies out there. All right. Well, we're going to jump in. Let's just jump in, get to our top 10, starting from the bottom, moving up. I know, Zay, you're kind of, uh, don't have much of a ranking feature, but you've got 10 movies you want to talk about. And then, of course, you're undisputed number one. So why don't you go ahead and kick off with the first film you'd like to go over? I'll explain the method to my madness first, because I was like looking at my list and I could kind of rank the first like six or seven. But then like for the rest of the three, there was like 10 to 15 different movies I could put in all three slots where I was like, it all makes sense. So I was like, fuck it. No ranking this year. It doesn't make sense. All right. So the first movie I will be talking about is the one I think I saw most recently to fit into this top 10. And that 
movie is oh my god i don't have anything prepared why am i like this <laughs> hold on i have to find the director and the shit um but the movie is the documentary feels good man directed by arthur jones basically the documentary involves the cartoon figure turn meme turn white supremacist symbol pepe the frog um Oh, if you don't know who Pepe the Frog is, just Google him and you'll be like, oh, I've seen that before. Um, and it basically talks about the artist who created him and his journey having to deal with like his creation going from just being like a basically a stoner character to being like a literal white supremacist sign that was like listed in the symbols of white supremacy by the, who, I forget what the name of the corporation or whatever that does it but government agency um but basically the entire documentary just goes into like this um like a journey of like how this one thing can like you create it and then it leaves your hands and then the internet could do whatever they want with it and it was just it was probably one of the scariest movies i've seen this year because it was just like it really hit like the past four years of things just devolving into just absolute horror and you know racism and just evil people um yeah and it's just the artist like also reacting and like him trying to get back the rights well he has the rights but like you know once something becomes a meme there's no laws about memes um and yeah it, it it's a very terrifying movie, but it does end on a higher note, which I appreciate. So, yes, that is my first film, Feels Good Man. Yeah, great doc. Um, a lot of good documentaries this year, like always, but great. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, like that, it, it's a terrifying movie. Um, I think both in like, you know, how this character, because I, I never knew that, Pepe the Frog was based on like like he first appeared in a comic book mm-hmm. and he, I just always thought he was a meme and I knew that you know white supremacist groups had kind of like taken him over and really made him into a really kind of like terrifying figure if you think about it but really good dog I think if you think about like the recent events at the Capitol the insurrection and whatnot and how that was just so out there online and mm-hmm. how similar things have happened with the use of Pepe it's scary it's a scary dog but very like very much worth watching uh i think i watched this actually uh the day it was either the day or the day before we watched this when biden was actually inaugurated but i was texting brett during it and i was like this is just it's just a meme it's just a picture of a frog and you said well what happens if you put something out there and white supremacists take it and then right after that it starts to get more and more into that and i was like yeah this is i get it now this is it's crazy what fucking 4chan can do. Which Especially I say like, now we've lost the 4chan audience. <laughs> oh no. Oh. I mean, wow. I was because I was like, you could put anything on the internet and anything it could just randomly turn into something. Because mm-hmm. you see like pictures of feet. I mean, think of all like the gifts and like memes we put on the internet. We don't know most of those people, and most of them aren't celebrities. Right. It's kind of ridiculous. I mean, it's kind of ridiculous. You're taking a freaking frog turning him into like a Hitler type character right. for his own needs. And yeah. Yeah. 
that's the other cool thing about the movie is that they not it's not just the the human story but they also bring in people who have actually studied like meme culture into it right. which is really cool as well perfect very good documentary I'm glad i watched it because i didn't know it was going to be on here so and thank you to zay because they let me watch it through their account nice all right <clears throat> Well, I did rank mine, though it was very difficult, and it's probably going to change tomorrow. Um, but my number 10 film of the year is one of the best comedies of the year for me, and it is Unpregnant. Um, this was directed by Rachel Lee Goldenberg. It was one of the first movies, I think, to premiere on HBO Max, kind of alongside An American Pickle with Seth Rogen. But I don't think it got anywhere near the attention it deserved when it was released, um, this follows two, um, high school, um, teenagers played by, uh, Haley Lee Richardson and Barbie Ferreira. Um, and Richardson's character, re, um, discovers that she is pregnant. Um, and the per first person who finds out on, you know, kind of unwittingly is Barbie Ferreira's character. And the thing here is that they used to be really good friends, but they've had a falling out because, you know, Barbie Ferreira's character is, you know, not like, doesn't like fit in with the typical high school cliques and whatnot. And Haley Richardson is all about being kind of like, you know, uppity proper and whatnot. Um, but both are very lo lovable, interesting characters. They kind of, you know, Ferreira's character agrees to take Richardson's on this road trip to an abortion clinic because they have to travel across, I think it's from uh, Missouri to New Mexico. Um, for her to get an abortion because she is under 18 and does not have parental consent. So um, their travels, getting there, and them kind of rekindling that friendship. It's really sweet. Um, it's very funny. Barbie Ferreira is hilarious in this movie. Um, I think, you know, her in particular, she should be getting more recognition for what she does here because I think it might actually be her first, like, big feature film role. Um, most of her, you know, fame comes from euphoria the television series and i really enjoyed it i really also think that you know abortion presented in movies we've had a few movies like that this year such as this and never really sometimes always which is also very good this one i think you know goes into the the intricacies of choice but also when we get to that point it makes it seem a lot less daunting than a lot of other films i've seen and kind of goes into the care that a lot of these clinics um you know the, the good ones give to their patients um, when something like this happens. And so very nice in that way. Um, great direction from Rachel E. Goldenberg with that comedic timing and whatnot. And I really enjoyed it. I watched it twice. Um, and it's one that I, I think has a really high rewatchability factor. I didn't get to see oh. it this year. You should so, check it out. I know I should. So I'll be listening to you too. Cause I abstain. <laughs> <laughs> but I know, Brett, you told me to watch it, so I'll get to it. I, I do think it's pretty cute. I do like it. It's very much like, it's basically a road trip movie, plain and simple, but it, it uses that, that um, structure, sorry, um, and uses it to its advantage very well, especially because the two leads do have perfect chemistry. Mm -hmm. um, and it helped me because, well, look at this. I am wearing my Betty Who tank top. And nice. Betty, Betty Who comes into the movie halfway through as a lesbian, a very tall lesbian. Yes. Yeah. 
I love it. It's very funny, very worth checking out on HBO Max. So if you have that, check it out. Oh, and the soundtrack is amazing. I love that soundtrack. Yes, yes. they like belt out um, since you've been gone, Kelly Clarkson, and that's like kind of their song from their childhood, and it's really cute and really sweet. Well, I so. I just meant like the songs like that were in the background. I love those. Sure. It's fit, yeah, it's a very indie pop soundtrack, and I liked it. Right. All right, Christian. Let's hear your number ten. The my my number ten is one that um really captivated a nation this year. Um, I know you two loved it. I loved it. I think everybody. I think it has great Oscar buzz, Oscar potential. Wonder Woman. <laughs> it's the prom. <laughs> Oops. Sorry. Prom. <laughs> so okay, number ten. It took me forever to kind of figure this out. And Brett guided me and basically said, you talked about the prom so much the day it premiered and the, like the second after you watched it. So why wouldn't it make this list? But it does. It, it makes my list. I really enjoyed it. Um, I haven't seen it since. I don't think I've seen any of mine uh, twice over. Maybe a couple. But no. Um, so if you haven't seen the prom, definitely check it out if you just want something kind of fun you don't have to worry about it it's it's not going to do anything awards season wise but it is about a group of broadway uh, theater actors they go to a small town in indiana and basically help a girl go to prom or set up a prom rather so that she can go with her girlfriend because she's a lesbian and it's a musical so there's a lot of songs in it it's meryl streep nicole kidman carrie washington andrew Reynolds. Somebody named James Corden. I don't know. I don't care about him. But yeah, it's a it's a lot of great fun. I enjoyed it. I begged you two to watch it. I begged Brett to watch it, and he did. Yeah, you know when you uh, you texted me and um, we're, we're putting together you know your lists, and we're having such trouble with number ten, and you listed off like I think four films, and I was like, you know, of those four, you talked about the prom when you saw it much more than the other three. So. Right. No, I, I enjoy it. I, I think, you know, um, it, it may do a lot at the Golden Globes, but there, there certainly, you know, there are moments I'm not that into, but there are definitely moments that I was into. Um, and, you know, there are some, some any, really... Anything, oh, sorry. And I was just going to say, anything that James Corden is in, in this is like, we can skip over that. Right, right. Yeah, like James Corden is the very obvious, like, no, 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 no. So... Uh, but all the other performances are really good. So, I would I, I I didn't particularly like the movie. I liked moments in the movie. I think it had too many of the like New York celebrity people in it. Um, I think if that number was like down to two, so we wouldn't have to worry about their little subplots. Mm. I, I think I would have liked the movie a lot more. Um, I'm also just not a fan of anything Ryan Murphy does anymore. It's just, and I don't know how much of it is the original musical and how much is Ryan Murphy, but yeah, there's. I'm a, pretty. Sure I'm pretty sure it's pretty close to it. Yeah. Well, I didn't do a whole lot of research. I'm sorry. Just because <laughs> I want to feel joy. <laughs> I mean, it did. It did remind me of like the kind of like like 90s like kind of gay like um cult following movies kind of like your two on foo or like the brady bunch movie where it's not perfect <laughs> but you could sit there like an afternoon or even have like a little slumber party to watch it and it's fun it's nice you know right. but i didn't 
I didn't particularly like. Yeah, I will say, um, and, and this is this is probably an unpopular opinion, but I would much rather have Meryl Streep get awards attention for the prom than I would for Let Them All Talk. So there's that. Is she getting that? I don't know. Probably not. That. But God, I hate that movie. you never know. Globe's gonna globe. I didn't see that one either, though. I mean, the Globes every time they're like, "Did Meryl Streep do a movie this year?" I guess we're just gonna give it to her. I exactly. They're exactly. the Oscars about it. <laughs> They'll see the prom. It's a full-on musical. They'll be like, "Eh, drama. It's a drama." <laughs> <laughs> that too. Very nice. All right, Zay, would you like to go into your next film? No. Oh wait. Oh, let me just say. Stopping um, now. Really quick, let me just say we need to say um, where you can find these to stream because oh yes, we're still in a pandemic. But the prom is on Netflix. Yes. I mean, hell, most of these are going to be able to find to stream. Um, yeah. Uh, feels good, man. Not streaming anywhere, but I rented it. Pretty cheap. Yeah. So wherever you rent your films, your cinema. <laughs> All right. So my next one, I have a feeling, is also going to be on y'all's. And we recently just had some local news about it. Not local on my end, but more so on Christian's end. Um, My next film I am going to be talking about is Promising Young Woman, directed by Emerald Fennell. Which, when I first saw it, I was just like sitting there like, I'm really enjoying this but I don't know if I'm supposed to enjoy it as much as I am because the film has had a lot of like controversial things stirring around it. And I get it because, you know, you're going to have a movie so much about a victim of sexual assault. There's always going to be people like talking about different sides of it because, you know, movies have always been really shitty about doing movies about sexual assault. So, you know, but, and as someone who has never really experienced anything like that I also cannot I can only stand on the sidelines to see what the movie has brought to the table so anyway this film about a woman who basically pretends to be drunk in bar settings just to wait to basically trap a man who wants to act like a nice guy and be like oh I'll take care of you and then she reveals to them she is not drunk and then she goes out of her way to shame them and to humiliate them but outside of that she's just not doing well she's just down on her luck she's in a no going nowhere job she still lives with her parents um and then she meets someone from college played by the great oh the woman is played by carrie mulligan amazing holy shit i mean she's (laughs) carrie mulligan there's no doubt um, and then she goes and meets up with a guy from college, played by Bo Burnham. Bo Burnham, also excellent. He needs to do more acting, directing, everything. I, I don't know if someone could be that talented. I don't know. He does everything. Um, but then, you know, things start to get more tangled and we learn more about, I don't want to spoil anything, but it just gets more deeper and murkier. And it's definitely the ending that has the most controversy behind it. Um, so if that sort of thing is going to trigger anything, definitely look into the like what's going on first. Because I can understand why people are upset because the, the trailer definitely looked like a completely different movie and it definitely looked like it was going to like go somewhere else with it. But I think overall, after thinking about it and sitting back on the film, I think all the right decisions were made. 
I love how the movie looks. I love how like cutthroat the movie is. I like how funny the movie is. It has many funny moments. And another movie with a great soundtrack to it. We got Britney Spears' Toxic. We got Paris Hilton's uh, song. I forget what it's called now. Um, Stars Are Blind. Stars Are Blind. And the uh, Fletcher song that plays right at the credits. Uh, I cannot stop listening to it. Uh, so yes, promising young woman. Yeah, uh, you're correct. I'm going to keep my thoughts pretty limited on this because it may or may not show up later. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is a film that's controversial, and it's one of those like, I mean, we we've all seen film Twitter. Like a lot of times when films are controversial, some of the discourse is just like unbearable. This one, I this is one where I think there's just a lot of really good discussion happening um, after this film, and a lot of really good reviews written about it as well. Um, I've enjoyed reviews from kind of like, you know, multiple angles, people who liked it, didn't like it, so on and so forth, and really appreciated, you know, all of them for the most part, um, you know, specifically the ones from women. Um, but yeah, really, really good movie. Um, but like you said, one that if I was going to show it to someone, I'd want to give them a little bit of back, you know, or, you know, some details of some of the things that go on here. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll also save my thoughts for later. Um, but uh, Zay, you did say that it had a little bit of news on the home front here for me because at the time of this recording, I actually just got finished with the Kansas City Film Critics Awards and the best film for the year went to uh, both Nomadland and Promising Young Woman. And so it tied. And Promising Young Woman also picked up screenplay and best actress for Carrie Mulligan. Hallelujah, because she's really good in it. Yeah. Have you... I don't know if you know this off the top of your head, but has like a female directed film gotten the top prize before? For Kansas City? Yeah. I'm actually not sure. I want to say I don't think so. Because that's pretty cool that two female directed films. That's Yeah, that's what we were talking about. And I know that they were going to put that in the press release. That's so, cool. But I don't, I don't think so, because I was trying to think back and... Yeah, because their their pictures line up so differently from everybody else's too. Right. Um. And yeah, promising woman. I, I believe it's out to rent now. Um, I think so. So, but be on the lookout for that too. It's definitely uh, worth the money. Yeah, definitely, definitely. All right. Well, my number nine pick is a film that came out. Um, earlier in the year it's on hulu i believe and it is the assistant um this is the one that's been on my top lin- top 10 probably more than any other film that was released this year um you know for the longer longest period of time um it's directed by kitty green and it basically goes into a day in the life of a um an assistant to a uh movie executive like a movie producer um and basically it takes on, you know, harassment and sexual assault in the workplace, but in a way where it doesn't feel like it has to just explicitly show it to you. Um, I, I thought about Bombshell when watching this because one of my big issues with Bombshell last year is that I felt that Margot Robbie's character was created partially just so that we could see sexual assault and harassment happening to somebody. And that's not really what this film is concerned with. Um, it features a really, really strong performance from Julia Garner, who I think is probably most famous from Ozark um, as the, the assistant. And basically it, it tells the story with her face and just with her constant discomfort in the workplace. Um, 
I think there could be, you know, a, a signaling that this executive, this producer is a reflection of a certain uh, producer in Hollywood who, um, you know, was convicted, you know, pretty recently. Who's, what, what the hell? Harvey Weinstein. It feels like a reflection of Harvey Weinstein in some ways. Um, there's a really just amazing scene in this film where she goes to HR to bring up her concerns and her complaints and it's just completely shut down and verbally abused by the HR man there. Um, and so it really goes into really just some of the real awful structural issues um, going on in, you know, really all corporations, all, you know, things like this, but especially, you know, Hollywood and movie production studios through this character. It's a really, um, and again, content warning here, once again, you might, you know, want to look into it um, before you go in. But it's a really, really powerful, but also quiet film that, you know, does not have to be explicit or um, be so talky to really get its point across to you in very clear fashion. Um, yeah, one of my favorite from earlier that, that came out earlier this year, also very much worth checking out on Hulu. One of those films that easily could have been in my top 10 somewhere. Um, it's it, it gave me a lot of like, tension and a lot of just like edge of my seat like oh my god mm-hmm. just gut-wrenching just uh, it tells the stories so almost pov as if you're just sitting in the room just watching all this shit go down and you're just like oh my god oh my god um but yeah i also really love this film um I don't really have an excuse as to why it didn't quite make my top. It's just, <laughs> it's very good. Um, good year. It's Yeah, it's a great year, I think. I, I still think about that Twitter asking, did anyone even see five films this year? I'm like, <laughs> idiots. Um, but yeah, it's very good. It's also available on Canopy if you have that service, Perfect. which you should, because if you have a public library, they probably have Canopy. Christian, have uh, you yeah, seen this I one? Saw, okay. Yeah, I saw... Um, I think maybe a couple weeks after you did, because you told me about it, but it was, it was fine. I don't, I clearly didn't love it as much as you two, but I, I like listening to the discussion about it too. Cause it's like, maybe I should watch it again. It's like that whole writer when we had the writer come up, mm-hmm. it's like, right. maybe I need to reevaluate this. But I do remember that it is a very quiet film and it is very intense in that at many times it feels like she's the only person in the room while she's trying to figure out what the hell's going on mm-hmm. with the producer, mm-hmm. with everybody involved in this. Yeah. And it's, it's that feeling of like, I'm alone in this, in this journey to uh, get justice, I guess. And right. I do, I do remember the HR scene because yeah. And I think a couple of important things that Christian used to remind me of that I forgot to mention is that she's not just doing this for herself. She sees this happening to like potential actresses. Yeah. Um, and so that's where a lot of it comes from. And also she does work with two other assistants and they are both men. And so there's a lot of scenes where she'll get these really kind of abusive emails from the executive and the men are like telling her what to say, but they don't get that, um, what she's experiencing. So pretty important details there. Mm-hmm. All right, Christian, would you like to go into your next film? Yes. All right. So my number nine, and it can be found on Amazon Prime. It is, and I cannot believe it made it on this list. It is Borat subsequent movie film. 
one of the funniest films of the year that came out of nowhere for me. I'm I I liked the first Borat. I wouldn't say I loved it at all, but watching this one, utterly hilarious. Um, Sasha Baron Cohen once again is Borat. It's very. I, I feel for him it was harder to make this one since everybody knows what the situation is. Um, everybody knows Sasha Baron Cohen shtick with it, but then you add in a new actress called Maria Bak- Bakalova as his daughter. Yes, she plays Borat's daughter in this. And they once again tour the country trying to get to the White House. It's a very play on with uh, Trump when that was a thing because it's not anymore. Um, But yeah, and it just all culminates with trying to get Bakalova into that White House somehow. And this wonderful scene with one Rudy Giuliani that you would think would just make movie news, but it in fact made like international scandal. You probably all know what happened. He tried to take his pants off. So I'll spoil that part. Borat does his thing where he tries to infiltrate a Republican meeting where the actual Mike Pence is there. It's hilarious. Um, I can't wait to watch it again, honestly. I was talking about it with a coworker a few weeks ago because I know she was talking about it and I told her, you need to watch it because if you like the first one, you'll like this one a lot more, I think. But yeah, and there's a great plot twist, which I actually don't want to give away because it came out of nowhere much like the making of this movie and yeah it's it's hilarious and i kind of screamed at it so yeah i uh i watched the first borat right before i watched this i actually like the first one a little bit more but i'm also we're removed from it a little bit unlike with this one so um but i will say i'm glad maria bakalova is getting a lot of critics recognition for this and i'm glad because i I mean, this was, you know, it was marketed. This is Borat. Borat's back. Sasha Baron Cohen is back, but she steals the show. And I think she's actually um, a co-lead, um, even though she's kind of being, you know, campaigned as supporting. But that could go, you know, either way. Um, but it's very funny. It's funny to think about how much of this, like, was really, like, just, like, unscripted. This just happened. Um, and what did I, like I like, too, that it's definitely... I almost compare it to like a Nomadland situation where you get to see America. Cause in this uh, Nomadland, you get to see America. This you get to see America as it's turning with the whole COVID situation where one minute he's able to be like in a crowd with people. And then in the next second you see people with masks on people, social mm-hmm. distancing. It's like, it's a total different change because it was made last year. I'm not sure when I'm surprised. I didn't even know this was coming out until a few months before. Right. I did not see this film. How dare you, person? <laughs> I didn't see this. I haven't seen the original, and that's probably what kept me from watching uh, the new one. Is because you know, I don't know. I I don't. Borat always like whenever I like saw it or heard about it, I was like, I don't know. That kind of gives me a weird vibe, so I just always avoided it for whatever reason. Yeah, I would honestly say you don't need to. I mean, if you understand what Borat is, it's a it's a character. I, I know, but you know, you know how I am. I'm a completist. I have to do right. But um, I'll, I, I know I'll get to it eventually. Um, I might get to it before I even submit for the Christian awards. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, so I just haven't got to it. I, I mean, I mostly, I mean, this one does interest me because of the different things I've heard in it. But it's just the fact that I'd have to watch two movies is what's keeping me. Right, I'm getting to it. Right, but I'll get there. Very nice. This and one that... I will say felt more cinematic 
Um, and the first one felt more documentary style. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I, I didn't agree. know who Sasha was at that time. And now it's like, all right, he's Borat again. Right. And Christian, I don't know if you mentioned this, but it is on Amazon Prime um, yeah. subscription. So wouldn't have to rent it. So. All right. Zay, would you like to take it away with your next film? And my next one, The 40-Year-Old Version, directed, starring, written by Rada Blank, a phenomenal Netflix original. Um, her debut feature film, it's just, it's just a refreshing, like, almost like it's kind of coming of age, but it's like coming of later age. Because, you know, she's just turning 40. This woman who is a um, playwright, that's it, that's mm. the word. Um, she is realizing that the uh, white upper class, like people who fund these plays, they're like, yeah, we, we love what you do, but can we just get more like a poverty, uh, black poverty porn, you know? Can we just see you suffer? And she's like, um, that's not what I want to write. And then she starts to realize she needs some sort of outlet. And then she starts like writing these rap songs and she kind of falls for the guy who is producing her songs. And it's just about her living through New York city as a 40 year old woman who, you know, she's not successful, but she's doing her damnedest. And it's just, it's really good. It's such it's not the per- it's not like a perfectly filmed movie. You can see like fingerprints all over it, but I love that. And it's filmed in black and white just for, you know, aesthetic purposes. And, you know, I never lived in New York, but I heard a lot of people say it just really captures New York. And I think it's just a real it's such a well-written script and she just plays her characters so fun. It's a hilarious movie. Those rap songs are hilarious. And it's just a very good movie. And I still to this day don't know why it's not one of the most talked about movies of 2020 because I think so many people would love that movie. Yeah. Right. Um, this is a, it's an honorable mention for me, this one, because I had trouble with it trying to see if I could fit it anywhere, but it is very much honorable. I really did like it. Poverty Porn is actually my song winner yes. of this year. Yeah. Um, but it's a very uplifting film for me, especially in the sense that she is 40 years old. Uh, Rada Blank is in this. She's 40 years old, still trying to find her way in life, still trying to find that path of like, what I want to do, what do I need to do to make it? And like with me, especially getting back into school, trying to find my own path. I'm like, this movie kind of hit with me. This and uh, another movie, which we'll probably talk about later, but no, this one hit really well. And I do like the black and white, black and white aesthetic of it. That's such a New York feel thing too. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm thinking back to Francis Ha, cause that's like the New York yes. black and white. I don't know. It's cool to see New York in color, but especially in like black and white, it's a much more of a treat too. Right. Yeah. And I don't know what it is about like character studies specifically that are filmed in black and white. I just love that technique. You think about like this Francis Hall, like you mentioned Nebraska, even although, you know, very different films, um, very much focused on the central character and learning about them and the black and white just adds something to it. Um, can't always put my finger on what it is, but it works really well. It's definitely um, takes away from any distractions in the background. Right. Right. Yeah. 
Rada Blank, a.k.a. Rodimus Prime, is the entertainer of the year because of everything she does with this movie. It's a, it's a fantastic film. No reason not to check it out on Netflix. Go write it. Just pause podcast. We will still be here. Go watch the movie. <laughs> exactly. Are you driving? Uh, Stop. <laughs> are you having, are you making love during this podcast? <laughs> amazing all right well my number eight film of the year is one of the pixar products that came out this year and it is soul um you know there's been some divided reaction to this one but i think that and i watched it twice um the second twice it the second time i watched it did hit with me a little more I think that partially because I think that on the surface, it seems like this film may be about like finding your purpose and living each day to the fullest. Um, Really, it's not really about finding your purpose at all, but it does go into that, you know, living life as much as you can. But I really like how the film focuses on those like small, subtle moments. Um, You know, so often we get these movies that are about like live your life as in chase the biggest thing possible. And this film is like, yeah, go for that. Like follow your dreams, but also like take a minute to breathe and whatnot. Um, Really, you know, I think um, Jamie Foxx is well cast as Joe, the lead character who is a jazz musician in New York, who is kind of like um, trying to make it big, but has really struggled. He's a kind of a substitute teacher and doesn't really want that full-time gig that's offered to him. And he ends up um, essentially kind of dying and it winds up in the soul world where he kind of refuses to go on to an afterlife and tries to make it back to earth. His ticket to doing that is 22, um, who is like a lost, not a lost soul, but person who's trying to get in um, to basically be born, but does not have her spark yet um, or, or their spark yet. Um, 22 does, however, provide my one and only like big criticism of this film and it's been talked about a lot and that is the body swapping um because 22 does end up in the body of joe um and with you know being voiced by tina fey having a white woman you know pretty much kind of portray this black character for a little while even though she's not the character i have issue with that um at the same time kind of like with promising young woman i've tried to read a lot of what specifically black folks have thought about this film um, I see a lot, I see a lot who criticize it heavily. And I also see a lot who really do feel seen in some ways by it. Um, and so this was co-directed by Kemp Powers, but Pete Doctor was the main director. I'm hoping that this is just one step onto something better for that representation for Pixar. And maybe that's Kemp Powers taking over as full director. Um, cause he's had a big year. He wrote this, he wrote One Night in Miami, um, and there are some scenes there where you can just tell his influences fell, particularly a scene in the barber shop um, that I think is pretty pretty wonderful. But it there are moments where it does lag a little bit. I like you know some of the Soul World stuff to a degree a little bit more than some of the other stuff in the film, particularly the body switching stuff. But um, <laughs> but yeah, um, Christian's trying to mimic something. Something what? I'm saying the score. Oh, the score. Yes. Sorry. I, <laughs> you need me to go to the store? <laughs> the score is great. Um, gosh, what are their names? Um, Trent Reznor and Atticus Trent Reznor and Ross? Atticus Ross. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think it is possibly the best score of the year. 
Um, yeah, really, really good stuff there as well. Um, but yeah, not any, definitely not top tier Pixar, but one that did really have an impact on me. The final moment of this film just kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. So I liked it. I didn't love it as much as I was really hoping for it. And a lot of people at um, work, especially when they're like, should I watch it? I basically say if Pixar's um, Inside Out was the mind, this is like your heart and soul. Right. That's the best I can go with it. I like Inside Out a lot more. This one, however, the second it ended, I looked up uh, the current college I am in and I'm back at school. So thank you to Soul. Hey. Yeah, this is the movie that did it for me. Because again, like, what's my purpose here? What should I do with life? But no, it's good. Um, Beautifully animated. I will say the soul world, especially a lot of soft colors, a lot of rounded colors. The score, I'm fiddling a violin over here, which makes no fucking sense. I'm fiddling a violin. (laughs) Oh my God. You know what I mean? But the score is one of my favorites, maybe of a lot of Pixar movies and of this year, most definitely. But yeah, and you can find this one on Disney Plus if you have Disney Plus. I'm pretty sure you can rent it somewhere, but I'm not too sure. It's a Disney thing, so they own everything. Um, I agree. I love the score. And it was my favorite Pixar of 2020. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's that almost like a threat. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's not, it wasn't a particularly strong film for me. I liked it. I liked it more than the other movie that came out on Christmas. Um, it was just a particularly bad Christmas all around, so maybe that affected how I liked the movie, but I don't know. Um, it was much more disappointing on the Wonder Woman end because I was looking forward to that one. But anyway, we're not talking about that. We're talking about Soul. Um, but yeah, I do like the score a lot. It's amazing. Um, it's amazing how the guy from Nine Inch Nails is now doing cartoons. Um, but... Yeah, I I love the soul world of it all. Um, I thought it was just getting very abstract. And I was like, okay, this is cool. We don't see this shit for like, you know, kids. Um, but then it turned into like every animated movie plot device kind of like, mm-hmm. it just, it needed to go on a journey. It needed to do this. We need to do that. And, you know, being a like a body switch. And I'm just like, I'm not <laughs> feeling it. I'm really not feeling it. And it's like, it just kept trying to do jokes. And I didn't think it was very funny. So overall, I was just very eh on it. And I was thinking about it because I was just like, you know, if I saw this movie like four or five years ago, I think it would really hit me. Like, you know, because it was like a period of my life where I was just very unsure about everything. And I'm just like, what do I need to do with my life? And I'm not really asking those same questions right now. So I'm just like, Sure. Maybe this movie just wasn't for me right now. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. Speaking of the jokes. Just, oh, go ahead. go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, that's why I think for me, Inside Out still hits a little Same. bit more closer to home for me than this one does. Same. I, I do agree with that. Inside Out, I think, is a much better film. But it's also one of Pixar's best. So, um, I will say the one joke that just really hits for me, and it's mostly going to hit for sports fans, is the Knicks joke. Uh it's pretty hilarious. Not going to like say it here cause I can't do it justice, but um, I, I even got the joke. <laughs> I, di- I didn't realize there was a next joke. <laughs> See, there you go. <laughs> That's how much it did not register with me. 
Yeah. Um, the other thing is, I I have a confession. Like, the only reason I always forget Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross is because my uh, my mind always goes to Atticus Finch. <laughs> and I'm like, no, Brett. His name is not Atticus Finch. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, that's my number eight. Like Christian said, it's on Disney Plus. All right, Christian, would you like to give us your number eight film? Yes. All right. So mine can also be found on Netflix and it is Ma Rainey's Black Bottom directed by George C. Wolfe and it stars Viola Davis and I hate saying this, but the late Chadwick Boseman. Mm. It is his final feature and he is very, very, very good in this. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and read the little plot synopsis on Letterboxd. But tensions rise when the trailblazing Mother of the Blues, Ma Rainey, and her band gather at a Chicago recording studio in 1927. Um, It is based on a play by August Wilson, who also wrote Fences, which we will actually be talking about coming up. This is his second in um, Denzel Washington's August Wilson universe i'll say because he wants to produce and or direct all 10 of the pittsburgh cycle plays that august wilson wrote in his lifetime and yeah it's just really good great performances all around like i said from chadwick viola is really good in this she gives such a different performance than i've ever really seen her in she is i don't know she's like she's a much more sad person in this i will say Mm -hmm. and it reminds me a lot of when she was in the help because Abelene in that is a very sad character. The help is a totally different story, but this is, yeah. Um, she's great in it. Chadwick gives a lot of great line deliveries. Also has a great supporting cast. Coleman Domingo is getting a lot of buzz for this. Who else? Glenn, isn't Glenn Turman getting mm-hmm. a lot of buzz too? Yeah. yeah. Um, but no, I really liked it. I like things that are based off of plays. This one did not feel like a play to me, which I don't think anybody from KC Film Critics listens in on this but they were talking about it felt a little bit too much like you're sitting watching a play they're wrong whatever but yes it's Ma Rainey's Black Bottom definitely see it for the performances Chadwick gives it his all right there at the end and it's just sad knowing that he passed away without having to see the great buzz that he's been getting for this and the ending really hits hard too mm-hmm. so, yeah yeah I you know on the 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 kind of stagey factor I will say like I used to think that like it was a job of a film to not make it feel like it was a play. And I don't really think that anymore, but I do think that it's something that does impact my viewing sometimes. I did feel that way with Fences. And we'll talk about that in our 2016 episode. I didn't feel that way here. I don't know what it is. I, I If it's the pauses or what, but it did not feel stagey to me, despite taking place, you know, almost pretty much entirely in just one building. Um, you know, not a whole lot of characters, but like you said, Christian, great. I, I know we'll talk about fences, but compared to fences, this one lets the characters stop and breathe and reflect on things. Right. Well, fences, again, we'll talk about fences, but it's a constant everybody's talking. It just keeps going, going, going. Right. Yeah. And um, I think it's really well shot. I think it kind of brings that era to life. And like you said, the acting all around, Chadwick and Viola are getting much deserved. They're both going to get Oscar noms um might even win and yeah coleman domingo i really love too i feel like he just was the character that really brought me into it that um i could kind of see things through a little bit more um just from his kind of own personality and he's kind of that central figure that tries to keep everything together 
really, really strong performance from him too. Um, yeah, I really liked this movie a lot. It was also one of those where I was like, this could easily go into my top 10. Um, um, my audio went out for a second, so I don't know everything Brett touched on and the staginess, but um, I also agree that it's not a film's job to make it, to separate it from a play. Because I think it can still be just as fun. I mean, Twelve Angry Men is one of the greatest movies of all time, right. and that could—that is a play, right? That was originally a play. It has to be. Um, I think it was originally a TV made-for-TV movie, and then they turned it into a play. Okay. Um, yeah. well, but it, I mean, it is a play now. Regardless, but, it's like I'll give you a better example too. Who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? That movie does go. not feel like a play. Exactly. Um, so, like, really. Um, trying to make a, a movie not a play whatever it i don't think it matters i think as long as it still like connects to you on any you know level like you know it's still a set it's still like it's still cinematic it does things that a play can't do still so i don't think it matters um sorry if i repeat anything brett said but again um whatever the internet's going indiana does not get internet um <laughs> But yeah, I really like the movie. I think something someone said, I don't know if it was Letterboxd or Twitter, but they said the movie really reflects a bit on like um, musicians owning the rights to their own art. And I think the movie really plays into that as Ma Rainey is just like, they're like, they want to make money off her music so badly. And so, she, you know, she's in power and she's like, that scene where she wants a Coke why didn't you just get her a fucking coke right it's just across the street and just you know like you're literally without artists these people wouldn't be making their money but you know like you can't even call that like a diva move because they need her for Mm -hmm. their little recording company to survive and she wants to do it but they just got to meet her needs right and they're just keep fucking up and so, you know, just very reflective of, you know, people these days that get into contracts and then they can't even record their music because they won't play into the corporate games. And, you know, just a very much an idea about how art and commerce don't always get along. And I agree, the entire cast plays so fucking well here. Um, very sad about Chadwick Boseman. I mean, we can't just keep, it's just, you know, I don't think anyone was ever just like not devastated. Um, but yeah, I think it's a very good movie. I, yeah. Very nice. I think too that, um, I know this has sort of been a topic that Brett has told me about, but if Chadwick had not died, I still think we would be talking about this in a way of he deserves the awards. Is it at least a nomination for something? Because it is a good, great performance. Exactly. I mean, I don't think yeah. it would be as big of a like, you've got to, you have to, blah, blah, blah. But I think right. it would be just as much of a conversation as everyone else we've been talking about. Right. Yeah. And I think it's the, it's the type of performance, the Academy, not that every, not that everything's about winning Oscars. Like, you know, if, no. if, if Chadwick doesn't win an Oscar, that doesn't lessen the, the performance in any way. Um but I, it feels like a performance they would absolutely go for, regardless of the circumstances. So, mm-hmm. it's, and it's like especially good that you know, unfortunately, it's his last movie, which is devastating. 
but it's always nice when you at least get to see the actor leave on a high note. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Very nice. Like Christian said, check that one out on Netflix. Um, Zay, do you want to go ahead and take us away with your next movie? Yes. And just to clarify, we are not sponsored by Netflix, but Netflix had a very <laughs> good year because here comes another Netflix film. Um, we are, I don't think it was an original, but they distributed it. Um, the horror film, His House, mm. which is a uh, film in sorry, directed by Remy Weeks. I think that's how you pronounce it. In his feature debut about a couple who went to somewhere in England. I don't think I remember. Um, anyway, the refugee couple left war-torn sedan. I'm pretty sure it's sedan. Um, and it is, and they, um, so they get moved to like the shittiest house you've ever seen, just like bugs and gross shit. And, you know, the agency that got them there is like, you should be grateful. We're giving you such a nice home. And they're Where like, did they move to? I'm sorry. Where did they move to? Somewhere in um, England. I don't remember the specific. It might be London. I don't think it's, a, it's some. Yeah. yeah. I don't know the geography of England. I'm sorry to our international listeners. Um, but yeah, um, Matt Smith of Doctor Who, he plays the shitty agent. Um, anyway, and so they they try to do their best living there. And that's when you start to realize there's some creepy ass shit going on here um, because they're being haunted by a bunch of goose, ghosts and ghouls and... Um, then you'd start to realize that, oh, they know this one ghost in particular. And it is this girl, um, their daughter, their daughter who had died and uh, didn't make it after leaving Sedan. And I'm not going to go in any spoiler territory because there's a good amount as soon as you get like some flashback stuff. Um, but it's a very harrowing, like scary film. A lot of like social... Um, issues being discussed there like where the metaphors and the ghosts kind of interact as most ghost movies do there's always like the ghost means something bigger and it's just a very creative horror film definitely taken from a fresh voice where basically it's trying to tell us that refugees go through horrors we could never understand so here are some like visual representations of so you can get some idea for it and it's basically the idea of the film is your ghosts follow you wherever you go and you have to learn to confront them or they're just going to take over and it's just a very good horror film another film where i believe that not enough people are talking about it um yeah it's just very very good i literally watched it this morning because i was like i had seen i had seen it when it debuted and I was like, oh, I love that film so much. But I was like, there's there's like a lot of going on. So I was like, I need to rewatch it just so I can like confidently talk about it on the podcast. So yeah, it's very good. Yeah, I think I watched it like a week ago. Um, and it's scary. Like, I, I mean, like a lot of horror films, you know, they're scary, but they're like, you just enjoy them. This one had some really creepy images um, and moments that were legitimately kind of terrifying and 
Um, you know, there's a twist here that I will say I did not see coming at all. Um, and I'm not going to reveal it, not going to reveal it, but, um, it's all very effective and, and good performances. And, um, I, I love a socially conscious horror film, you know, um, that does touch on some of those issues and, um, you know, historical precedent and things like that. So very good. I didn't see it. <laughs> I'm out of the loop. Remember last year though, when Zay had all these movies and Brett's like, oh, I didn't see it. I didn't see that one. I, that's me now. <laughs> <laughs> Brett stayed home and now he got to see all the movies. Yeah. <laughs> and I stayed home too. And what am I doing? I don't know. I was watching the prom. <laughs> Very nice. But it sounds good. I added it to my watch list. So it's, it's definitely worth it. It reminds me a lot of another uh, UK film, Under the Shadow, kind of. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It, I can't think of too many like specific parallels, but they feel the same. Yeah, I agree. People should also watch Under the Shadow because I don't think people are talking about it anymore. Very good movie. Yeah. Very nice. All right. Well, I'll jump into my number seven here, which is one that has already appeared on Zay's list, and it is the 40-year-old version. Um, Echo pretty much everything Zay said. Rada Blank, you know, I mentioned she's my pretty much my entertainer of the year. And because she, she gives a fantastic performance here, uh, she created a fantastic should be best original song winner with poverty porn. Um, and she just directed the hell out of this thing. You can tell it's very, very personal, which I always love when directors, you know, especially who are acting in their films can, you know, display that the way she does here. And somehow it all might be surpassed by her writing. Um, I think it's the best original screenplay of the year, personally. Um, you know, it would get my vote if I was a voter, but um, just everything she does is at such a high level. Um, and I'm pretty sure this is her first feature film um, that she's directed. And if so, it's just extremely impressive. Also very funny. There are a lot of just really good pieces of dialogue in this film that really actually made me laugh. I also really love her relationship with her agent who is played by Peter Kim, um, who also gives a good performance. And they just kind of have some a really interesting relationship and some funny back and forth here and there. Um, But, you know, Netflix had a lot of, like they said, really good year for Netflix Um, had a lot of really good films come out. Um, You know, I realize it's kind of a a spoiler for the rest of my list, but I think this is the best film they released this year personally. Um, And so really, really solid film for me. It's one that might just even go up in time because I do think this is another one that has a, good rewatchability factor very good character study uh the scene where she's on the stage and like they've just premiered this this her her new play that the white producer is like butchered um she has you know some dialogue there uh, pretty much a monologue that is just really awesome really great scene in the film um so yeah, yeah. i love it the 40 year old version highly recommend uh, spoiler alert for me, there are two more Netflix films, I think. Ooh. Uh, I don't, one of them I would say is better, but Netflix has a good year. They really put it through. They, did. That. they, re- they really benefited from no one going to the theaters. 
And I will say, I and I don't know if this is widespread because I know Netflix gets a lot of crap. Um, you know, like they're quote unquote destroying theaters and whatnot. I've I watched um, you know a kind of a, a live stream with a indie theater in Kansas City, and they said the studio that has tried to help them out the most during this time is Netflix. So, um, and again, I don't know if that's widespread. That's just one perspective, but something to consider, um, which is kind of cool. So no, it's not Disney. (laughs) Yeah, obviously. Yeah. All right. Christian, would you like to give us your number seven? Yes. All right. So mine is, what was this? Like the second to last film, third to last that I saw in the theater way back in like February. And it is Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn, directed by Kathy Yon. It is the, I would say, I guess, continuation of Harley Quinn, who everybody knows from Suicide Squad, whatever. Let's just think that this is like a separate standalone situation. I know Zayn's giving me a look. I don't think that's what people know her from. That's what Christian knows her from. He made her debut in the Batman Adventure series. This is what Christian really knows her from, all right? She's part of the whole Batman universe, DC, okay? This was the best superhero movie of the year. I'll say that. Wonder (laughs) Woman is not a thing. But yes, so it all has to do with Harley Quinn, a bunch of badass females trying to get uh, this diamond out of a kid who has swallowed it. Well, before you and McGregor can come and kill everybody in sight. It's great. It's funny as hell. Um, I saw it the day after Christmas again because I had purchased it for Toby for his Christmas gift because he wanted to see it. And yeah, it's honestly, it's hilarious. I think if you, ugh, if you are a fan of Suicide Squad, you'll also probably like this, but you can skip Suicide Squad. Just jump to this, okay? And Margot Robbie is great in this, I will say. Again, like Ma Rainey, this has a fantastic supporting cast in it. Um, I've mentioned Ewan McGregor. We also got Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Journey Smollett, Rosie Perez. Uh, who's the girl? Who's the girl? Uh, 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 Ella J. Basco. Ella J. Basco, yeah. She's like the little pickpocket girl who actually is the cause of everybody fighting over this single diamond. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And it is on HBO Max if you are signed up for that. Or it is out uh, Blu-ray, DVD, Redbox, rental, anywhere. Yeah, I uh, I enjoyed it. I definitely did enjoy it as much as you two did. Um, but yeah. I, that's, that Suicide Squad thing I think you mentioned, Christian, is, you know, it is something because I did not like Suicide Squad at all. And so I was like a little bit nervous going in, but it did. It, it, it was so much better. Exceed my expectations. Rosie Perez should be like the next actress that we all get behind to get like, get back in like, you know, the Oscar conversation. I think if she gets a really good role, she could take that and like do some really amazing things. Um, but Margot Robbie obviously kills it as Harley Quinn. Uh, we, we stop talking about Deadpool as like the go-to R-rated funny superhero film. This is so much better. Uh, let me just say that. So, yeah. I will say, I want to back up and say, this is this is the introduction of Harley Quinn as played by Margot Robbie. I'm ignoring Suicide Squad. So that's like, blah, blah, blah. This is like, this is her big moment. Yeah. Well, I would just like to say my next film is 
Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous <laughs> Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. Brett, you can suck it. <laughs> anyway, I fucking love this movie. I, I list. <laughs> my, I of course I um like back in middle school I started reading comic books and DC has always been close to my heart. But with the DC movies, it's very hit or miss, and the misses are so fucking low. But this is like I think the first time a DC movie has like made it to my top ten of the year. Like maybe not. Uh, I don't know if Wonder Woman because that was a good year. But Wonder Woman might have. But I like this more than Wonder Woman even. It's just, it's high energy. It's fun. It's, it has the best fight choreography of any superhero movie that's come out in so fucking long. Like Marvel movies, whatever you want about them, the fight choreography in those movies kind of suck. This one, they do so much shit. And I'm just like, I'm tired. I need to take a break. Y'all doing so much. And just like the different like areas they'll have themselves do like these different fort fights in and uh, Margot um, Harley Quinn fucking snorts cocaine to give herself superpowers. <laughs> Come on, uh, it's so good. And I don't know if necessarily Suicide Squad fans will like this because if you're a Suicide Squad fan, you got something wrong with you. Uh, no offense. <laughs> I mean, I liked it more than most people did, but Jared Leto just kind of ruins the whole movie. Um, as very much a oh you didn't like Jared Leto as the Joker well this is anti everything about that um so yeah again it's a great cast um good soundtrack um yeah Mar I just want to see Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn for the rest of my life it's just so good <laughs> um her actually and Kaylee Cuoco as the animated Harley Quinn that show is great um I just love this Harley Quinn renaissance nice she's a very good character and i want to protect. it's such a different it's such a different version of her too in this compared to like suicide squad true mm -hmm. i feel like suicide squad was very much trying to restrain her very nice back-to-back -back mentions of birds of prey um and clearly brett did not like it because um, marvel it was good it was good no i i do agree it was the best superhero comic book film that came out this year there's um, only like three right <laughs> i mean you've got like <laughs> this and wonder woman and the old guard so um not a whole lot oh there. what i okay yeah the old guard is based on a graphic novel yeah oh, excuse me <laughs> <laughs> i did like the old guard though so that's my number it two. is it is good yeah all right well my uh number six film is actually one that I just watched uh, a couple days ago, yesterday, something. So maybe I'm jumping on it a little too early, but I really enjoyed this movie and it is identifying features. Um, this is a film, it's a co-production between Mexico and Spain. Um, I will say this one was the one I had a little bit of trouble with regarding whether it was 2020 or 2021. It just got released in the U.S. virtually this last weekend, but I always think like if it releases in the country that made it in the year, I think that counts. Um, it was released in Spain in 2020, so I'm going to consider it a 2020 film, whatever. Um, this was directed by Fernanda Valadez, and it's the story of um, basically a mother in Mexico who's played by Mercedes Hernandez, um, her son and his friend decide that they are going to immigrate to the U.S. for work. Um, he's pretty young, and 
you know, she says, okay, if that's what you want to do, you know, send you on your way, call me when you get there, or try to contact me. Never hears back. And it turns out that her son has gone missing um, around the border. And so she basically sets out to find her son. She is told by the authorities there that um, he was killed by, um, you know, people who would take over buses and kill or kidnap folks who were looking to immigrate. Um, but she, the only evidence they have is her son's back. Um, and the fact that his friend was killed, we do know that he was killed, but she's not convinced. She thinks that he might still be out there somewhere. And so she goes looking for him. Um, it's a journey that takes her in some unexpected places and she encounters some unexpected people. She basically has to go into detective mode to find any details. And at part time, we wonder if she really believes he might still be out there or if she's just trying to find closure. Um, but Mercedes Hernandez gives a phenomenal performance here. Um, this actually just recently won Best um, International Film at the Gotham Awards. Um, and so it has got a little bit of attention, but not a whole lot. It is out on virtual cinema in some places. I rented it through um, a Denver cinema site. So it is still a little bit expensive, but it's very much worth the watch. Um, Great, just outstanding cinematography too. Like some of the very best cinematography of the year. And the thing I like about it is that like, there are things that I didn't fully pick up on until I researched a little bit about, you know, how things are in Mexico. Um, I've actually seen it critiqued. Like some people saying that like, you know, certain audiences aren't going to get it if they're not from there, which I think is honestly bullshit. Um, this is a film that's, I think, you know, more made for audiences where it's set. And I really appreciate for that. Um, so identifying features, um, yet another film directed by a woman from last year, written by, uh, Valadez and Astrid Rondero, really like really great movie. And one that might actually move up my list. The more I think about it. I literally had not heard of this film until you just mentioned it. Um, so Brett wins that award, I think, hey. um, you literally have seen it so soon that you haven't even logged it yet. Um, a lot true. of box. That's true. Um, but yeah, I'm, you, I'm definitely interested in seeing this. Very good. You texted me like the day you rented it and you're like, I got promising features or whatever it's called. <laughs> oh, see it. and I'm like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> what is the movie I, called? <laughs> identifying. Identifying features. Promising As features, in, identifying features, it's the same thing. The features when you're trying to identify a dead body, basically. Oh. Yeah. What the fuck or, is a promising feature? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know what a pro okay, never mind. I know what a promising feature is. <laughs> Wait, are you texting me? I'm like, I don't know what that means. Are you is this a threat? <laughs> No, but I hope it does uh, become a little bit more accessible soon so that more people can see it. So, all right, Christian, would you like to give us your number six? Yes. All right. My number six is The Invisible Man, directed by Lee Wanell, and it stars Elizabeth Moss, aka Miss Scientologist. <laughs> Did I say that? Um, she escapes her abusive ex boyfriend and lives with her. Uh, sister's friend and his daughter sort of hiding out because the boyfriend has not been arrested or anything, hasn't been charged with just being an asshole. Just discovered though that he is dead? Question mark. 
and that she has uh, inherited some of his fortune as long as she is, uh, or it's, she inherits the fortune, what, she had to play, like, plead insanity? I always forget. Something like that. I'm like, that, I, yeah. Yeah. I can't remember. So, um, so yeah. Um, and then strange shit starts happening around her because it's called the Invisible Man. I assume you can figure that out. And she thinks that it is her ex-boyfriend and that he really didn't die and that he is somehow manipulating her into going pretty insane. And it's uh, great work. Elizabeth Moss is incredible in this. Don't rule her out for anything. Put her on all your lists. She's great. Aldous Hodge is her friend in this. He's great. Storm Reed, um, great. Uh, I say great performance from her, actually, because a lot of it, she has to fight an invisible man. There's nothing there except her reacting to nothing. Uh, a lot of the, uh, what is it, behind the scenes stuff I've seen of it. It's pretty cool. But no, I really liked it. It's one that actually made me gasp in the theater. I remember there's certain moments of it, which I won't spoil here, that are just like, holy shit, this actually happened. And you can rent it, you can buy it, and it is on HBO Max, too. So, And it's weird to think that this almost came out a year ago. Yeah, this is one that it was going to be something I watched in the theaters. And like the days I was going to go was like right after the lockdowns all happened. So I'm I just missed it. I know uh, it. I so I just watched it in October, and yeah, it's very Elizabeth Moss is just it, she's one of the best performers in Hollywood right now. Um, you know, she's great in everything. She had this and Shirley this year, which were both great performances. Um, the 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 diner uh, the the dinner scene is just like oh wow, um, one of many very I good screamed. scenes in the movie though. I yeah. screamed. Also, Aldis Hodge is amazing. Put him in more movies. He's good in everything he does as well. Um, so I am regretfully announcing that my next film is also The Invisible Man. <laughs> so yes. we got a double, double toil and trouble feature um, because, which is fine because, you know, it's fun that I don't have a ranking so I can say this one was next. Um, the Invisible Man was something I would, I went in because I was just like, oh yeah, fuck yeah, this horror movie. I love horror movies. I went in and I was like, within like 15 minutes, just on the edge of my seat the whole fucking time, my anxiety peaking. I had caffeine in my system. I was just like, holy shit. I love this movie, but I kind of need it to end soon so I can like not have a heart attack. And then it's one of those movies where it's a really fun movie, but once you like kind of connect it to something personal in you, you're just like, oh, this is something else. Because, you know, I think I talked about this letterbox kind of, but it was just like my ex before my last ex, we dated like 2019. It was an online situation, you know, we never met in life, but he has like access to all my social media. And I'm like, he could be looking at things anytime he wants. And that's kind of like how I was like, oh, that's my Invisible Man situation. Like, I have no idea what he's doing in life. I have no access to anything of his, but he could just be going like onto my Twitter at any time and just be like watching what I'm doing. And yeah, it's kind of scary to think about. And yeah, but yeah, but overall the film is great. I would watch it again. I would need like a volume first. Um, Bam, Elizabeth Moss, 
definitely in my hell it'll probably if she doesn't get the oscar nomination it's just going to be tony collette lupita nyong'o elizabeth moss so (laughs) of great actresses doing a fantastic horror movie and just acting the fuck out of it (sighs) yeah invisible man very good very very good love that movie yeah i've seen it three times now damn yeah I bought the Blu-ray, but I have not rewatched it since the theater. I'll get to it sometime. Very nice. Like Christian said, that's one another one you can find on HBO Max if you have that. All right. So my number five film uh, comes from Steve McQueen's Small Axe series of films. Um, not to address that debate, but they are films. Um, and so I'm going to talk about one specific one, which is my favorite of the five. And that is Mangrove, the first one that premiered. And so this is the true story of the Mangrove Nine, um, who, you know, clashed with London police and um, basically went to court um, with something, you know, facing harassment from the police there in London. Um, there's a restaurant, a Mangrove restaurant run by the character played by Sean Parks. Um, and they're just cont- continuously harassed. They are, I believe they're charged with, um, is it inciting a riot or something like that? Um, this film has been compared a lot to the trial of the Chicago seven. Uh, if you're going to watch one of the two, watch this one. Absolutely. I think it's far better, but I think this one and a lot of what Steve McQueen did with this series is just really, um, discussing the importance of, of space um, and those spaces where folks can congregate, and especially with this being um, you know, the West Indian Black community in London, those stories are very much you know, rarely told. Um, and Steve McQueen does a fascinating job doing it, especially with this one. Has some of the best direction of the year, um, very good cinematography, and just an incredible ensemble. Um, Sean Parks, who I mentioned earlier, I think is fantastic in what I would say is probably the lead role of the film. Um, near the end, there, there's you know a sensing being read, and it just focuses on his face, and he's just kind of tearing up and um, breaking down. It's a really just powerful image that's kind of just been implanted in my mind since I saw the film. Um, the only one I want to recognize is that I know she's had some controversy lately, but Letitia Wright is amazing in this movie as well. Famous for Black Panther. Um, I was telling Christian, you know, if we can give Oscars to Casey Affleck and Gary Oldman, then we can recognize Letitia Wright's work too. Um, you know, not exactly the same there, but I do think, you know, looking specifically just at the performance itself, she's pretty incredible. Um, like I said, the small act series, I love all of them to some degree or another. I think they range from like great to very good. This was my favorite. Um, and so very much worth checking out. It is the longest, but really interesting story that I had, I did not know anything about going in. Um, and so it was kind of a, a teaching moment as well um, with a really strong community factor attached as well. Let's use the right thing. She's a shitty person. She's not as shitty as the other two, obviously. Uh, but uh, mm, mm, I don't know about that girl. <laughs> she is good in the movie. I'll give her that. Yeah. I mean, in terms of Oscars, her having a shitty opinion and like that should not affect her getting a nomination if they were to give her one. Right. Because obviously, and- Casey Affleck and Gary Oldman and uh, Mel Gibson, we'll get onto him also in an upcoming uh, yeah. podcast. 
obviously do not matter to that public. Right. And I think this is, this is being submitted for Emmys. I'm pretty sure, which from what I've heard is kind of a situation where Amazon has other things on their plate. And so the ones that they know that this is going to do better at the Emmys than it is at the Oscars probably. Um, So that's how they're going with it. But I think they're all individual films uh, myself. So very Um, cinematic. I will touch later soon. Um, But I like Mangrove. I like as far as like courtroom drama sort of type movies go. I don't really like that genre a whole lot, but this one really made me enjoy it. So yes, but I still don't, it's probably my fourth favorite of the series. That's all. Um, I did see it. I don't think I really cared for it. I want to see the rest of Small Axe because I haven't. Not a good first impression for me, so I never actually got to it like you two did. So, yeah. I think you'd like some of the others. I've seen, I think Lover's Rock is the one that I think most or a lot of people I've seen consider the best and it is very good but aside from that I've seen a lot of differences in how people rank them so I think some of them do more for others than some of the others do yeah I will say I would watch this again over the trial of Chicago 7 yeah I haven't seen that one so so I agree yeah I don't know if I mentioned but this is on Amazon Prime um, if you have a subscription so you can check it out there All right, Christian, let's hear your number five. All right. My number five is another film that swept the nation, uh, caused no controversy whatsoever, and is also considered a gift from God, him him or herself. It is Hamilton. (laughs) Hey, which I don't think Zay saw. Oh, my God. Okay. I know. You told me to. I'm sorry. Okay. I'm sorry. You've had since July. I, at this busy. point, I would I would have even accepted if you didn't like it, because I know you probably won't. I saw it thrice, twice <laughs> in the same day. That's okay. kind of something. Sitting right here. <laughs> so, it is. The Golden Girls reference. Hey, there it is. So, uh, Hamilton is basically the musical that uh, has hit Broadway by storm in the past couple of years. And it is about Alexander Hamilton, his life, how basically the United States was formed. And yeah, all told through rap uh, and hip hop. Lin-Manuel Miranda, of course, did all of it. This is directed by Thomas uh, Kyle, I think his name is pronounced. Um, uh, we got Leslie Odom Jr. in this, Renee Elise Goldsberry, Philippa Sue, David Diggs, who's like a huge star now, Christopher Jackson, Jasmine Cephas-Jones, Anthony Ramos, Holla, uh, Jonathan Groff and a wonderful ensemble cast. But this is a live stage musical filmed. I didn't know if I was supposed to include it in this list, but I was like, you know what? This is my personal list. Why not? I loved it. Honestly, it probably would have been my number one, but some more, the next four are like even great. I told Brett, if I could do just a simple top five, this and the four after this would only be my picks for like my personals for this year. Weird to say, I know the other ones were great, but like these five, pretty solid on it. Hamilton was just like a life changing thing for me. 
I'm sure for a lot of people too, since theater in New York is closed for right now, at least we got to see this. At least they put out something as big as this for the general audiences to see. And it's on Disney Plus if you're so inclined to watch it, which you definitely should. Right. I'll get to it, okay? <laughs> Thank you. No, I I I say, you know, it's a film. You want it on your list, put it on your list. Um could get into a debate about whether, you know, actors deserve golden glows for this because I they're performing for an audience, not the camera. So I, I do have opinions about that. But as yeah, far I as don't like think they should. I personally nominated for film here, obviously, and a personal documentary award. Yeah. yeah. That's where I would have it as well as documentary. And it is really good. Like I I had I was one of the few people who had not listened to Hamilton or like, you know, found a stream somewhere or something like that. I was actually going to, and then once, you know, I found out that this was being released, I was like, oh, I'll just, I'll just wait for that. Um, no, but Hamilton is really good. And um, I did like that, you know, you could tell that Disney releasing this was very big for a lot of people. Um, Cause the percentage of people who, you know, can go see things like this, especially on Broadway is very small. Um, so I do think it's cool to have something like this where more people can see it and interact with it and whatnot. And it's very good. And Zay didn't see it. <laughs> I'll get to it. Oh, I had to run to the bathroom so I didn't even have to hear your conversation about it. <laughs> yeah, I know. You didn't even <laughs> like like any of the songs which I said, hey, maybe you'll like this song. You're like, yeah, not I, really. Yeah, I didn't really. <laughs> I tried to be nice about it. <laughs> All right, Zay, let's hear your next film. Is it Hamilton? <laughs> cool. Well, I guess since we already hinted at it, I'll go ahead and say uh, I also would like to discuss the Steve Queen production. But instead, I will be talking about the film since the LA critics said it's a film, Small Axe. Um, I think this is just a wonderful, like, accomplishment for a director to give us not one, not two, not three, not four, but five good to absolutely incredible films. Um, and they're all ranking in different, like, um, quality. But even the lowest one, I'm just thinking like that is still a pretty good movie. Um, so I'll just give a brief. Uh, Mangrove, we've already talked about where I thought it was pretty decent. Uh, courtroom drama kind of film, pretty good. Lover's Rock. Lover's Rock is one of my, is my favorite. It's just trans, transcendental. It's just very much, it's just a party and people are just vibing and you're just, you get so much like great music. Um, there's like one conflict in the whole thing. Um, it's just great. I, I wish more movies like that were coming out. I just, I like just existing with it. Um, then we have Red, White, and Blue. Um, that's the one where I, th that's my least favorite one because I feel like it's just the most conventional. Um, basically of uh, John Boyega being a cop and you know dealing with being a black person in a very racist system. Um, and then the next one, Alex Weedle, which is a kind of biopic kind of thing, um, but it very much talks about the importance of music and Black culture, specifically um, 
Reggae. Reggae. Thank you. Fuck. Um, and I like that one a lot. And I, education is my second favorite. I thought that one was very powerful about how the white racist system keeps black students back and intentionally gives them to special schools that are not special at all. Um, and I found that one to be pretty profound. And I don't think enough people are talking about that one because Lover's Rock is what everyone kind of agrees is the best one, but I think education is right up there with it because I was looking at like all the films and I was like, okay, Lover's Rock and education would easily be in my top 10. And I overall, I think overall the film series is so successful that I'm just going to say, yes, it is one of the best movies of the year. Because, like, if anyone else did that, they would just be like, holy shit, yeah. And I feel like it's because it's Steve McQueen who hasn't had as much, like, uh, clout. And so I feel like people are trying to dismiss it a little more. Because I feel like if someone like Scorsese or Tarantino did something like that, it would be a lot more um, well-received. Yeah. I mean, I think the L.A. film critics, when they announced Small Axe as their best film... I did not have a problem with it like most because I, I I'm kind of both like I think it's like a five you know individual films but also I think that there is a there was a desire to recognize it and it's just hard to kind of pin down how you do that when there's five films in there and also to me I took it as just a big fuck you to like the whole film versus TV debate like it was a it was cool for me in that way um, cause that kind of dominated a lot of the conversation about it, which I really hate because it is to me as a whole, possibly the cinematic achievement of the year. Um, so yeah, very nice. It makes me think like someone else brought this up that it was like Lord of the Rings, how everyone talked about that trilogy and like everyone talks about, oh, the Lord of the Rings movies are great. And like, they don't talk about the individual ones. They talk about it as a whole. Mm -hmm. And especially when like Return of the King one best picture that was specifically because of the series i don't think they specifically thought that was the best picture of the year but they were like oh those three movies are pretty good let's just award all of them at once because the other two did not win christian quit looking christian at his like thoughts that. i disagree we'll get to that podcast though someday <laughs> <laughs> All right, in the middle. I mean, I think they the Academy might have thought that Return of the King was the best film of 2003, but I also think that, like, as a whole, a lot of voters probably did consider the factor that we want to reward this series, and we haven't done it yet. So, yeah. I mean, my favorite movie of 2003 is, spoiler alert, it's Finding Nemo. Mm. So. Very nice. I just wanted to be part of the talk. A lot of people going on journeys to find something that year. I think the other one you're referring to uh, for Journeys is the Lizzie McGuire movie. Yes, absolutely. All right. Um, Well, my number four is the Regina King directorial debut, One Night in Miami. Um, You know, Christian had mentioned earlier about um, plays and whether they feel stagey on film and things like that. I think this is another one in addition to Marie's Black Bottom that I did not get that feeling at all. And it's because just so the entire time I was so captivated by the, the, the conversations being had here. This is a 
a fictional account of a, a one night where Muhammad Ali, Malcolm X, Sam Cooke, and Jim Brown all gather in a hotel room in Miami after Muhammad Ali has uh, won one of his titles. Um, they have a lot of conversations about the world at the time. They talk about how, you know, you know whether they're using their voice and how they use that and how they use their various modes of their um their their personas to use that and the entire time this is you know written by kemp powers who wrote the play the original play and i think the dialogue and the performances are just so perfectly meshed and work together so well i could watch these guys for hours and just keep just digesting everything that they're saying and everything that they're touching on um, and how they go about it. And the film, we do get who these people are for these performances, but none of them feel like they're trying to be just like picturesque portrayals. They feel like they're trying to bring us characters, um, you know, who have these thoughts and these feelings and want to discuss them. Um, all four of the, the actors are great. My personal favorite is Aldous Hodge, um, who actually probably might have the least dialogue in the film, but his quiet performance just really hit a note with me. But all of them are great. You know, Kingsley Benadir and Leslie Odom Jr. I think are getting the most buzz for this. Um, and I think that's largely because they have the biggest conversation in the film. And it's very fascinating. But really, really great work from Regina King for, you know, making me never feel... Um, making it never feel closed in and making it feel just very vibrant, even though it's pretty straightforward, just these four men having conversations. Um, it kind of went in a breeze for me. It's about two hour film and it did not feel very long at all. Um, so yeah, one night in Miami, outstanding directorial debut for her outstanding performances, just really good all around. And it is on Amazon prime for um, subscribers. I actually watched this just last night. Because, you know, I was like making sure to stuff as much as the big stuff that, you know, what if this is, because there are so couple movies that did not make my deadline, but that's fine. Um, but I did watch this. I loved it a lot. Um, it's like right outside the edge of my honorable mentions, um, but I still really liked it a lot. Um, you know, what's better than this? Dudes being dudes. You know? <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I think Regina King really has a deft hand. And it's always a thing where once an actor gets starts to direct, they always want to do a project where other actors can do a lot of acting. And I think this movie is like a pretty good example of that. And I think it's a lot of fun. I liked it a lot. I thought I had a lot of good things to say. Um, yeah, and I, it took, I had to like Google like 20 minutes in. And I was like, wait a minute, all these people knew each other like that? hold on and then i was like oh it didn't happen okay <laughs> but yeah it's a very good movie and i would definitely recommend it again another movie where i didn't feel the same way as you two i don't know i need to see it again though i did watch it thanks to brett because we what we rented it from somewhere right uh yeah i think it was middleburg middleburg film festival yes had it to rent. yeah this, that's how i saw it but no, um, it does have a good cast, I will say. Again, I'd like to see it again. I had no idea it was based on a play. And I want to see what Regina does next. Because if she can direct, because mm -hmm. she does have a good direction style here. She can direct, she can act. My God, the woman can do anything. So yeah, she ain't called 
queen king for nothing (laughs) (laughs) and i will say uh you know props to kingsley benadir because obviously malcolm x has been portrayed before by a pretty popular actor by the name of denzel washington um some consider his best performance so just having that um and just making it his own is pretty impressive as well all right christian let's hear your number four all right, so my number four is the one I think is actually the best animated film of the year, and it is Wolf Walkers. So if you have Apple TV Plus, definitely check this one out. If you recently bought like a Apple computer or an iPhone, you get a year subscription, just an FYI, friends. So it's directed by Tom Moore and Ross Stewart from the production company Cartoon Saloon, and they made such films as <clears throat> Secret of Kells, uh, The Breadwinner, Song of the Sea, also looks like one called Late Afternoon, which was a short film a few years ago, which is really good, actually. So this takes place in Ireland, as many of their films do. And it is a time when wolves are seen more uh, like wolves, like the actual animals are seen sort of in a superstitious light. Um, this community has built a wall basically around the forest because they don't want any wolves intruding on their space, killing anybody. Um, and a young girl sets out sort of to follow her father, learn his ways, because he's like a wolf tracker. And in the process, she meets this little girl who is actually a wolf walker, meaning that she can transform pretty much or uh, push her soul out and turn into a wolf. It's a very fantasy-based film. Um, But they become friends. There's great conflict because this little girl is also trying to find her mother. She went out to sort of, or not sort of, to find a better place for these wolves to live where they're not so much in a threatening environment so they can live in peace and harmony. And it is a beautifully animated film. It's very sad in certain moments of it, but it's very uplifting. I think it's some of the best animation style I've ever seen outside of Disney. Um, Cause I know Disney has such a huge monopoly on the animated features and stuff. And especially in the Oscars. But this thing has the potential to go far. It is so good. It is downright breathtaking to me. And I absolutely loved it. I mean, it top four for me. Wolfwalkers was um, thanks to Christian. Christian, let me see Wolfwalkers. Um, I really loved it. I am so glad that this year animated films seem to have really speaking to, spoken to me, um, even though I didn't put it like the Pixar ones. Um, but because um, I've been feeling like the past couple of years, there hasn't been too many great animated films. I think I think the last one that spoke to me was Into the Spider-Verse. So um, I'm sure there's something in there I'm forgetting, but that's the last huge one. And I really love Wolfwalkers. I think it really, I love folklore. I think that folklore discussing film is always so fascinating and Disney wants to do it so bad that I feel like they miss the point more often than not just trying to make them fit into their Disney mold so uh Wolf Walkers was definitely refreshing and I love the animation uh yet another film that was like do I put this in my top 10 is it going in my top 10 it didn't quite make it in there um but I really loved it I feel like if I watch it again it would probably be in my top 10 yeah I really loved it too it's like it's in my honorable mentions as well 
Um, and it also came very close to making my top 10 really love the animation. And that folklore piece was really big for me too, because like on, on its own, the plot, as I was watching, I was like, okay, I'm getting a little bit of like how to train your dragon here. I'm getting a little bit of brave here and like similarities, but the underlying themes and the folklore aspect of it, um, really, you know, kind of push that aside and make, kind of make it its own thing. Um, and yeah, really good voice work as well. Amazing score, very similar to Soul. There's an amazing musical score here as well. Um, really good song in it. I can't remember the name of the song. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, it's out there. Um, but really, like you, like you both said, really unique and really cool animation. Um, yeah, very good stuff. Have you ever seen The Secret of Kells or any of their other films, Breadwinner? No, this is my first Cartoon Saloon one, personally. I've, I've seen all three of them. I didn't realize, I, I looked it up. I didn't, I thought The Breadwinner was just G Kids. I didn't realize it was Cartoon Saloon, but yeah, I've seen them all. Um, it's a toss up between this and Song of the Sea that are my favorite. Song of the Sea is really good. But The Breadwinner, they're all good. They're very much an animation studio that I think does mostly all good work nice mm -hmm. um secret of kells i think it should still be on canopy because i watched it this month january so. but again wolf walkers definitely get like 14 day subscription to apple tv plus if you have to all right zay would you like to give us your next film i would love to up next we have another horror film it is the color out of space directed by richard stanley his first film his first feature film since the disastrous 1996 isle of dr moreau that he was fired from um so this is a triumphant return because i love the fuck out of this movie it is a adaptation of an hp lovecraft um i think short story um, I think he only. I don't think he had any full-fledged books. Um, anyway, starring Nicolas Cage in a movie that knows how to use Nicolas Cage, and um, uh, his daughter, played by, sorry, Madeline Arthur. She's very good in this. Um, and there is a. Shit. Anyway, it's just it's a family. They live in who knows where small town they live on their, their own little patch of ground they're very normal normal um they have llamas they own um but then one time something just crashes into the yard and a meteorite or whatever and it just changes everything kind of just reality breaks down around them um and it's just weird colors i mean it's it's like in the book, obviously, it's described as color you've never seen before, and we can't obviously do that. Um, um, so it's just like kind of a purpley magenta color. And it just takes a lot of influence from other horror films, but just makes it so weird and surreal. Like, they'll just say the most insane things, and you're just like, I believe you would say that, because from even before like the, the thing crashes down, they're just saying weird things to each other. Um, 
and Nicolas Cage goes in and out and like sometimes it feels like he's doing a Donald Trump impression and other times it's just like I don't know I don't know what he thinks he's doing but I love it um and if you just like a movie where you just don't know what's going to happen next and you're not exactly sure if the movie you're watching knows what it's about I don't know it's just a very it's very of itself and it's just a trip I saw it in the theater um it was one of the last things I saw before everything shut down uh yeah it's very great I love it it's not for everyone I don't think but if you like weird horror films especially the ones from the 80s because you know Richard Stanley um that's his name right yes Richard Stanley um that's basically where he got most of his fame from before he lost everything um so he very much comes from that generation and then he really just takes the concept and runs with it and you know it takes it takes the Lovecraftian things and the issues with that man and also faces those and I think those are nice but yeah it's definitely a film to see to believe it's definitely a yeah it is an interesting film I got to see it uh thanks to you actually because I use your Shutter account because it is on on Shutter yeah um no i told a coworker because they like scary movies and they're like well what have you seen i basically said nicholas cage entity from space everybody's going insane color out of space did i rhyme <laughs> <laughs> did i rhyme i felt like i rhymed um, it was like a half rhyme to a degree Plant rhyme but it was good no i will say because i didn't see a whole lot of horror movies last year so I guess between this and like Invisible Man, mm-hmm. you know, I did really enjoy the colors, like the literal colors mm-hmm. out of space of it. The purples are incredible in this, especially if you watch it in pure blackness with a really good TV. Yeah. The theater was great. Nice. I literally, I came so close to watching this the other night. I, uh, I watched Buffalo instead with Zoe Deutsch, uh, which is also good. But now I need to go watch it. So, mm-hmm. all right. Well, my number three is another one I actually rented from Middleburg Film Festival back in like October, but it is now on Amazon Prime for subscribers there. And it is Sound of Metal. Um, no film has moved up my list more this year than Sound of Metal. Um, I, I think when I first saw it, I was like, oh, this is really good. It's like probably like in top 10. And even as more films came out and I did more reflecting, I just like really just thought about it so often after I watched it. And so it just kept moving up. Um, It's directed by Darius Martyr. He wrote Place Beyond the Pines, but this is his first directorial narrative. I think he'd done a documentary before. It is the story of Ruben, who is played by Riz Ahmed, who is a um, like a hard rock drummer with his um, with his girlfriend played by Olivia Cook. Um, they're in a band together and he notices that he starts to lose his hearing and it gets to the point where he is pretty much completely deaf. Um, and so very sh- shocking and, you know, traumatic thing for him because he is a musician. Um, so, you know, something that he relies on heavily, obviously. And um, he's also a former addict, um, recovering, recovered addict. So, um, you know, there's concern there as well. And basically, um, his girlfriend finds this community, with uh, this deaf community, where he can go and he can 
um, start to learn, learn sign language, basically learn, um, try to, you know, adapt to living while being deaf. Um, this is where it introduces perhaps my favorite performance of the year, which is Paul Racy um, as the person who leads this community. Um, Racy has appeared in some TV from here there. Like he was in Parks and Rec a little bit, but um, really cool thing about him is he um, has deaf parents and he's like a, a real true advocate for the deaf community. Um, he's like in an ASL rock band and does um, ASL theater and things like that. So he knows um, kind of what's going on here. And the performance is just incredible. There's a final scene between him and Ruben that just completely broke my heart. And it was all because of Racy and his, you know, his expressions. Um, but let it be known that Riz Ahmed is incredible here too. Um, my favorites, you know, performance from a leading actor this year as well. Uh, I think he just completely dives into this role and really gets us to know this character who is flawed and who is struggling, but tries to come to a point of acceptance. You know, it's a lot of, a lot of this is about acceptance um, and, you know, um, learning to live with that. The screenplay is also fantastic. There are things that are just like, allows the viewer to kind of take in without just de delivering it directly. Um, like one that I always think of is Racy asks um, Ahmed, you know, um, you an ad you an addict, how long have you been clean? And uh, Ruben says four years. And the conversation goes on. He's like, so uh, you two, how have you two, you and Olivia Cook, how long have you been together? And he says, four years. And so it's things like that, those little details that it's really big on their relationship too. And just the different relationships that he forms during this time. Incredible stuff. Very, very personal, great performances. Um, and yeah, one of the best of the year. I like this movie. I don't love it as much as you guys. So it is my turn to sit in that seat. Um, as much to Christian's detriment because I could just feel the disappointment in him when I said, I was like, I like this movie. But, you know, that's whatever. We can't all like the same things. <laughs> but I do agree that um, Ahmed and Racy are phenomenal in this. Um, yeah, I mean, even before everyone else was talking about Racy, I was like, oh, that Racy guy. I don't know who he is, but he's doing some stuff. Um, I think my biggest issue was it's nitpicking at best, I think, but I just had issues with like the sound um, editing design, something like that. I don't know, but I just didn't, I didn't, I didn't like the inconsistency of we have his POV of sound versus like an outsider's POV of the sound. And I just didn't think that was ever, I don't think that lined up very well for me. And it's just, it's a nitpicking thing, but when, you know, that's kind of the basis of the movie, I don't know. It's just me. And Christian is just giving me dirty looks and it's just like, but it's fine. I feel like I'm on like Maury right now and I'm talking about my ex-husband and he's just by, by, backstage. <laughs> but no, I like it. It's a good movie. I don't love it, but I do agree it's a good movie. Um, I don't People are talking about Olivia Cook, and I just don't think her character is very fleshed out. I think that's fine, but yeah. People were talking I, about she should get like uh, awards talk too, and I was like, I don't see it. I don't think she's in it enough. 
Yeah, I think she's really good. Like, I really like her in this, but I just don't know if she's in enough of the movie for me making impact the way some of the others do to get full awards consideration. But she's really good. But no, I actually don't know if it's nitpicky because the sound is such a big component of this movie. And it really worked for me. But if it doesn't work for you, that is like a really big component. So that makes sense to me. I'll save my thoughts. Oh, okay. Well, let's hear your number three. Uh, so, okay. So it's already been brought up here before, but it is Promising Young Woman by Emerald Fennell. And yeah, I really loved it. I just want to say that going into it, I had no idea what it was about. I do not think I watched the trailer. So again, did not know what this was about. Just heard a lot of hype about it, how it was good. There's a Twitter pe person who we all follow who it's like their best film of the year. So then we watched it and it just it blew me away with how shocked I was about the entire plot of it, as we've talked about. Uh, definitely content warning as we've seen or as we've heard about here. Um, yeah, Promising Woman is just is great and Carrie Mulligan is fantastic in it. She, I don't know, cause I really only know her from, I guess in education, um, Great Gatsby, a couple of other films. Like I don't know her as well as I really would say I do. That brief, I'll say it's a brief role in, um, what is it, Inside Lewin Davis too. Mm -hmm. Cause it's all Brett looking at me like, bro, you should know this. I know. I was gonna mention no, Inside yeah. Lewin Davis if you didn't. <laughs> yeah. I got you. But no, she's great in it. And yeah, definitely go into it without knowing too much other than content warning. Um, yeah, it's great. And yeah, just it also just won, like I said, best film in KCFCC. I also forgot to mention it has a very lovely component to it that Laverne Cox plays a trans person, but is never really addressed, which is lovely. Also, Jennifer Coolidge playing <laughs> against type. Which I thought yes. was wonderful. And her parents, did they ever leave that or a table in that movie? Because they're always at a table, it feels like. Or I don't know they if they were, did. They were they were sitting on the couch in one scene. Okay. Because I only remember them in like the kitchen at the kitchen table. And then when they have the dinner when Bo Burnham comes over at yet another table. It's just a weird thing. I don't know. Because I they were on the couch in the scene where they give her a suitcase. Oh, okay. But yeah, I really like Promising Young Woman. I cannot wait to see it again. I have my Target gift cards from Christmas. That's the thing I'm going to buy with it. All right. Um, Zay, let's go to your next movie. All right. My penultimate choice. And it's also a film that I saw quite recently. So I'm hoping there's no recency bias behind this, but I don't know. It really affected me. And it is the documentary directed by Katherine Johnson, starring her own father, Dick Johnson, in the film, Dick Johnson is Dead. Um, so I had watched Camera Person last year, I think. I think so. Anyway, and I just really loved it. And I was just like, oh, she has such like a great eye for things. She's phenomenal. Like, I can't wait to see more from her. And I didn't realize Dick Johnson is Dead was directed by her at all. Um, I heard people talk about it, and I was always like, this is a movie you shouldn't skip out on. I was like, I don't know, maybe. Uh, and, of course, it came out, like, 
early 2020, I think. I don't remember. Um, but I was just like, I don't know who Dick Johnston is. I thought he was like an actor or comedian I never heard of or something. And I was like, is this just a documentary about him? But no, um, and I don't remember like what finally got me to like think, oh, I should watch this before I solidify my top 10 of the year. But I finally popped in because it's a Netflix original. Didn't uh, mention that. Um, and it's just so good the way that Catherine, like Dick uh, was totally down for everything in this documentary um, that his daughter was going to shoot. I don't think I mentioned, did I mention it was his daughter? I don't know. Anyway, um, and it has a very dark sense of humor to it because they know he's toward the end of his life. And she's like, what if I just film you dying over and over again on screen? Um, but it's more than that, because I thought that's the direction it was going to go, but then it does not at all. Like you show, you see different scenes of him dying. Um, and then you'll see like very intricate scenes of the afterlife. And I love those. Um, but it just becomes a lot more intimate than that. And it's just about her relationship with her father and like how they remember her mom had passed away from uh, complications with dementia. And they start to notice that his mind is starting to deteriorate. And it's filmed over like multiple years because there's like a gap in the middle. And at first you see how vibrant and lively he is. And then you realize after the time jump, things have gotten progressively worse. And it's, the documentary is so funny and it's so sad and it makes you think and then it makes you laugh again and then it makes you fucking sob and I just oof I don't think it's any secret to anyone who's ever listened to me talk on these podcasts that I just love films that want to explore the ideas of death and this one wants to just fully confront with it and how like love and death and just family all commingle I can't wait to watch it again it's so good yeah, like we said, uh, yet another year of a lot of really good documentaries coming out, and that is another one. Um, I haven't seen Camera Person, but it's on my list, uh, my very long list of ones that we to watch for our 2016 episode coming up. So um, hopefully checking that out soon. Yeah, this is so so good, so personal. Um, I really love some of those those themes of death and um, whatnot that that you discussed and very much very much we're checking out on netflix no yeah so dick johnson is dead it's a very interesting duck um i liked it obviously i've seen camera person which is really good definitely check it out wasn't expecting what this was going to be um i thought it was just going to be like you know interviews like oh let's reflect back on your life but instead yeah it's like okay let's reflect a little bit but let's also kill you multiple times that we can get the pain out of it. I almost told my family to watch this just with, you know, personal family loss in the past year. I don't know how they would react to it. It's yeah, it's probably not yeah. the best thing to show them, but you know, the whole life and death situation plays really well in this than it does maybe for any narrative feature. But, not to spoil it, but that last scene with the friend of dick oh my yeah. god yeah yeah oh my god 
crying in the corner while everybody's like, all right, well, we're not, he, he's alive still. Yeah, very good is stuff. Dick, is, is Dick Johnson, he's still alive, right? I don't know. I believe so. I, I think... I'm pretty sure I looked it up after I watched it. I'm pretty sure he's still alive. So, okay. but yeah. Um, perfect. So my number two is another one that um, is actually available on Amazon Prime for subscribers. I guess they did really well this year as well. Um, this is Sylvie's Love, which I don't know how much mention it's getting out there, but I really, really loved and enjoyed this movie. Um, it stars Tessa Thompson as the titular Sylvie. Um, she works in her father's record shop, but she really wants to be a um, TV producer. Um, she has a lover who is overseas, but has come home soon. And she comes from a very kind of like, um, not, not necessarily high class, but like um, very sophisticated family. Um, and she meets um, a character, Robert, who's played by Namdi Osamaga, Osamuga, sorry, who um, is actually the husband of Kerry Washington and a former NFL player. They are both really good here. He is an aspiring saxophonist who plays in um, a jazz band and clubs around the city. Um, this takes place in Harlem, by the way, in the 1950s. And they have a pretty immediate connection over their love of music. Um, he decides he takes a job um, working in, uh, the record shop that Sylvie's father owns. And they have this connection, but kind of this forbidden romance thing going on partially because she does have a lover overseas and partially because, um, Nami does not, you know, he, uh, Robert does not come from the same background as Sylvie does. Um, you know, not part of that kind of like more, more sophisticated society thing. Um, it basically kind of goes back and forth. Um, it, it is kind of a time jumping film. It goes forward in time a few times, um, late fifties, early sixties and their connections, how they, you know, fall apart, reconnect, so on and so forth. I think that where this film, you know, ha has been criticized and I, I understand is that it does have a lot of things that are pretty familiar in a romance like this. But for me, it elevates those things where I think others have not. And I think that, you know, this kind of has the feel of like a 1950s, you know, Douglas Sirk melodrama type film. And just thinking about how black characters never got those. Um, and this kind of delivers that. Um, and, um, you know, Sylvie has this complication where her husband really um, doesn't you know, want them to be their authentic selves around their white friends, especially when they encounter microaggressions from these people. And, you know, Sylvie is not into that. And that's part of the reason why she's more attracted to Robert at times. And their journey, I think it also goes really deep into societal expectations um, for, you know, men and women, black men and women during that time, and how they both kind of struggle with those. Um, so it's one, it's just a, a joy to watch. Um, I, kind of randomly watched it the day it was released on Amazon Prime and just immediate, immediately fell in love with it. Um, the music is great. Obviously, it's jazz and whatnot. And really just enjoyable, great performances from the two leads and very much worth checking out. I did not see this film. I wanted to, and I kept forgetting. Um, this is definitely going to the top of my list. Now to hear the, how much you loved it and to hear you talk about it. So, yeah, I nice. need to see this. Very nice. I will say, yeah. um, sorry, go ahead. 
Um, yeah. What was I going to say? Oh, I, this was an observation that it seems like more often than not, you've seen all the films we've been talking about. And then you've, you're the one that popped up with a couple now that I haven't seen, which how the turntables. Uh, re- reversal, reversal. I haven't I will, seen this. There we go. Back, I, will, I haven't seen this. <laughs> I will say, not to get, get into awards with everything, but this is another one from Amazon that they're submitting to the Emmys as a TV movie um again just because they have other priorities like one night in miami and sound of metal for the oscars but it is very very cinematic as well um and very well shot too it's so wild they can just pick i know i i yeah netflix all this time they're like we need oscars we need oscars and then amazon's like we're fine with emmys yeah (laughs) they like the marvelous miss Maisel. give us more emmys (laughs) exactly marvelous miss Maisel. um (laughs) No, yeah, I, I haven't seen this and I want to. I honestly, this is bad. Brett told me about this movie. I never once looked it up. And now I know as of right now what it's about. Someone, I don't know. I don't, maybe Brett mentioned it. Someone mentioned it. And I kept saying, whenever I'd log into your Amazon, it would be advertised. I'm like, okay, I need to get to that. But I was never, I was never getting onto Amazon to watch it. I was going on there to watch something else. So now I yeah. know. Yeah, very good. Very much worth checking out. All right. Christian, let's hear your number two. All right. My number two is, and I'm, well, I'm not, yeah, this may be good news. I don't know. But it is Minari, directed by Lee Isaac Chung. And it tells a story about a, a Korean family who moved to Arkansas in the 1980s. Um, to make pretty much a better life for themselves. The father's played by Steven, uh, Steven Yoon. He thinks that the land that they're living off of is going to be very fertile, will provide them uh, pretty much an income as farmers, vegetable farmers, what have you. Um, but it's very much a, a culture clash, I would say, because they are from Korea. They moved from California, though during all this they don't really know why like the mom doesn't really know why they have to come here what is the point of this father's grand experiment in making a better life for themselves in arkansas and it's mostly actually told from the son's point of view the little boy that they have um, played by alan kim his name is david he's a pretty good uh child actor in this and then their grandmother played by yang yun jung comes to visit and watches over the little boy and the uh, her granddaughter also. And yeah, it is a remarkable film. I absolutely loved it, um, but definitely worth a watch. I know it's coming out to rent in February, I wanna say, mm-hmm. like middle of February, but it's, it's a very uplifting picture. I think it's the best movie about America this year. Because it's a very distinct American voice to it, since it is about this family who immigrated from another country to build a better life here. And normally you would think, oh, well, they're going to go into like education or this type of scientific field. But instead, it's no, we're going to move to Arkansas and we're going to become like a farming family. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, it's really good. This was very close to making my list. Um, just one of those really great. <laughs> the great family drama from this year um and yeah the the performances are all pretty stellar um really well shot really well directed and 
really touching, um, but also just feels really very realistic and true to life. Um, and yeah, very good. Very much worth checking out. Wait, this is an American film? Because the Golden Globes told me <laughs> otherwise. Yeah, fuck um, the Globes. Always. Um, but yeah, I've, I've not seen this. Um, Christian told me about signing up to like see it through um, the Lincoln Center or whatever. And I was at work and I was I tried to look it up and I was like, you got to put all your credit card information. And I was like, oh, I'll just wait till I get home. By the time I got home, it was sold out. So yeah, I'll see yeah. it. I really want to see it. All right. We have reached number one. Zay, take it away with your favorite film of the year. It's the prom. <laughs> Wouldn't that be? Um, no, of course not. It's, uh, oh, I'm trying to think of a, oh, it is a, a biopic um, starring some unknown people um, about a music artist, but they didn't get the rights to the music, but they did their best. <laughs> um, I'm talking about the film Stardust <laughs> about the life of David Bowie. Um, it was just so good, you guys. So good. No, that's actually my least favorite. We should have done a podcast. That's, that's, another, that's another one you're welcome for. I don't think I'm going to thank you. Because <laughs> it's god-awful. Anyway, I mean, I could have risked getting COVID. They were playing in the theater here. Um, but no, I wouldn't. I, everyone was like, where'd you see it? And I was like, don't, don't. <laughs> anyway, anyway, what we're really here for. Number one. Uh, my number one is I... Fuck, I was doing so good, and then I'm behind again. Um, the number one is a, another Netflix movie. I think Netflix movie has finally reached the top spot of my list. Um, it is directed by Charlie Kaufman, and it is I'm Thinking of Ending Things. I knew it. <laughs> a movie Christian put on his worst movies of the year list um it's very much a movie made for me to just i don't even think i can give a synopsis of it there's so much shit happening i don't think anybody can <laughs> hold on um <laughs> no very short letterbox synopsis nothing is as it seems when a woman experiencing misgivings about her new boyfriend joins him on a road trip to meet his parents at the remote farm that happens in the first 20 minutes. And then the rest of the film is pure madness. Um, if you don't mind, I think I'm going to read my review of it. Because it. one, I think it's a very, I think it's one of the best reviews I've ever written. Not to, you know, give myself a pat on the back, but I do take time to write sometimes. And um, it gives my overall feeling about the themes of the film. Um, okay. If we are to believe that time is cyclical when the time we spend with an individual is eternal, time spent with bad memories never ends, and time spent with people we don't care about will feel the time. We are suffering while we are joyous, mourning, and celebrating. Life meets death in the smallest of moments, and we have to analyze ad nauseum. Glancing at paintings and museums of the people we knew and the art we consumed. I'm trapped watching Jack and Jill forever, but also a nonstop marathon of every time I've seen Harold and Maude. 
pawns in our own lives and trapped by and trapped by our mental disorders. I don't feel fine some days and some days are in great pleasures. Things don't end, they are in forever. One second is eternal as much as an entire life is eternal. Planes floating perpendicularly except for one flash of light and they go on their way. This movie was two hours of my current life, but it will play through eternity in a different loop. How quaint, how horrifying, how beautiful, all at the same time. Maybe that's what heaven will be like too. Christian just pulled this movie off of his worst list and, and moved it up. And yeah, no, that was beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so basically when I watched this movie, I was just alone, um, cat sitting for a friend. And it was like the weekend this dropped and I was like, okay, I'll, I'll see this. Um, I was fine for like the first 30 minutes. But then after that, I just started pacing. I was pacing around the room because the movie was just getting so intense to me. And it was just making me think about everything. It was just just harboring on every thought I had about what's going on in my life. And I was just like, if I don't, I don't know. There's, there's so many things you could just rip apart from this film. And I, this was like, what was going on in my mind at the time? Like um, COVID's going on. There's a quarantine going on. I can't do things with my life. I'm stuck. And um, the film was just very much like, wherever you're stuck, you're going to keep coming back to this moment of where you were stuck. And it was just very much a play on memory, a very much play on time, a very much a play on the relationships you have with other people. And it all just struck me all at once while I was pacing around my friend's apartment, just watching the movie. I couldn't stop it. I was just like, all right, all right, we got to do this. Um, but yeah, it's just very cerebral and you just need to be on the movie's wavelength. And if you're not vibing with it, you're just not gonna vibe with it. And you know, that's fine. It's a very specific movie. Like it's not gonna be for everyone. Um, and yeah, it's, I love the acting in it. Um, what's her name? Jesse Buckley. Jesse Buckley, yeah, she's great. Um, Tony Collette, um, like she's only in it for like, 10 minutes and she like steals it in that 10 minutes um jesse plemons is good i'm gonna go to kansas and just smack christian <laughs> that's gonna be my road trip movie <laughs> but yeah i just it's very much just if you like charlie kaufman you, you know what you're going into it's very much an existential film it has one of the best jokes of the year in it <laughs> where they're watching a movie and then says directed by Robert. Yes. <laughs> that was very good. But uh, yeah, so that's my whole spiel about the movie. Yeah. Uh, before Christian tears it apart, I'll, I'll give my th quick thoughts. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, um, I, this, yeah, this is one I, when you watch it, you know, it's going to be divisive and you either, it works for you or it doesn't. It really mm -hmm. worked for me. Um, like I said, I really love the ensemble here. I think it's one of the best ensembles of the year, even though it's not very large. Um, Tony Collette, okay? Tony Collette, my personal awards, this would be your third straight year getting a nomination and probably your second year in those three with a win. She is, I mean, she's incredible in everything and I love her here. Like I said, even though her screen time is short, uh, she just eats it up. Um, she's amazing. And David Thewlis as well would 
Uh, you know, he's you know top supporting performances for me as well. In addition to Jesse Buckley and Jesse Plemons. Um, Jesse Plemons is that one of those guys who I think is good in everything. And one day he's just going to, he he's, he's going to get his big one. Um, I hope, but yeah, really good. Really worked for me. The whole strange narrative just like got me really thinking. I don't, I'm not very familiar with Charlie Kaufman. Um, I mean, I think I've seen this in Anomalisa and that's it. And I did not like Anomalisa. So this was a complete turnaround in that regard for me. My screen froze. So I don't know what Christian looks like right now. Long pause. <laughs> no. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> I, I poured my heart out, gave wonderful poetry and a review. And then Christian's like, hmm. That's fun. <laughs> I do not like this film. I did mm-hmm. not like this film. I did not understand it. It felt so much like a David, I almost said a Jane Lynch, <laughs> a, David, a David Lynch situation. And as we know, I could care less about him or this. I was so fucking confused by it. I had no idea what was going on. I don't want to know what's going on. This is the first time I thought about it. Since September 5th, 2020, when I last saw it. Good for you two for liking it. It ain't me. It ain't me. <laughs> it ain't me. And I'm, just, I'm looking at my phone and it's going. It says, Toby just liked your review of I'm thinking of ending things. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> so that's, that's what I got. <laughs> to each their own. It was it was no prom. It's <laughs> <laughs> just, just it. If you're a fan of the prom, you might not like thinking of ending things. <laughs> but there are. I think you should you should definitely watch um, Being John Malkovich and Eternal Sunshine of the Mind, Brad. That's right. Those I have seen both. Being John Malkovich. That's right. Okay. Yeah. He didn't direct that one, but he did write it. Right. Eternal Sunshine and Spotless Mind. Incredible. That's my big one that I'm missing. So. All right. Well, very nice. Well, um, now I know, well, I've known for a while that we are all three going to have different number ones, which is great. Uh, I think my number one might be the only one that would be, that is on all three of our lists. It is of course, promising young woman. Um, had to think a lot about, you know, what, what is my number one? What do I want to be? But like promising young woman was the one where I was enthralled the most for the entire runtime. Like, wire to wire beginning to end just completely taken aback with everything that was going on um emerald Fennell is like my director of the year um she does really great stuff here i think that you know she wrote this she directed it and i think that you know this is a film that you know you can guess was going to be controversial and she has a lot of ideas i think what she does here is pretty bold um I've seen a lot of this, you know, this, this giving the title of like uh, a female revenge film and, you know, you know, it's definitely got some of that, but um, I think that there's so much more to it. Um, like I mentioned earlier, I've been trying to read, you know, or have been reading um, reviews of this film from women. Um, and like I said, a lot of different perspectives, a lot of, a lot of them that, you know, didn't like the movie or like the movie in a lot of different ways. And I, I really, interacted with all of them and none of them, you know, this isn't a film where someone who thinks differently of it, you know, 
gets me all riled up or anything. Um, I think I love, I love this movie more because it has generated that discussion. Um, one in particular uh, was written by Candace Frederick for Elle magazine. And she talked a lot about how this film is about grief and um, Carrie Mulligan's character and handling that. And, you know, met with act- actual like mental health specialist about that. And it's really fascinating how the film tackles that with how she takes this um, event from the past and, you know, does these things that she does. Carrie Mulligan, we've all said is incredible. Um, Just, she's always great, um, but especially here. Um, And yeah, the cast, I love how this cast has people that just like aren't in a lot of the film, but show up and just do really cool stuff like Laverne Cox. Um, We talked about Jennifer Coolidge, Connie Britton, I think is like awesome for seeing this film. Uh, Molly Shannon shows up for a scene and is great. Um, They casted the best possible people to play the, uh, the, the douchebag frat boys. Like they fit the roles perfectly. And Bo Burnham. Love me some Bo Burnham, and he's great here as well. The colors used in this film, um, I really like the use of color as well, and the editing is terrific. The song choices are terrific, the score. Like I said, looking back, think about just from beginning to end, this was the film that just really hit me like a ton of bricks and enthralled me the most. Um, That ending, like we said, very controversial. There's a lot of reactions to it. But it, at the very least, it's shocking. Um, and the film itself is entertaining. So it's my number one. I still like it. I love it, I guess. Yeah. My thoughts haven't changed since the beginning of the podcast. Yeah. I still want to see it again. Right. Same. I, All right. Uh, I wish I saw it. I wish we could see it in the theater. Oh, that would be amazing. All right, Christian. Take us home with your number one. Well, if you enjoyed any of those films, then you're going to enjoy this one. And it has everything. Polar bears, gorillas, ducks, Robert Downey Jr. going into the asshole of a dragon voiced by Olivia Coleman. The film Doolittle. And it is my number one of 2020. Thank you. We just lost all of our subscribers with that one. So. <laughs> no. So actually, Doodle is my worst film of the year, but we're talking about the best films of the year. So it is Sound of Metal, which we've already discussed. I loved it. I was blown away by it. Riz Ahmed is so great in it. My personal choice for best actor for the year. Some of us liked the sound design of it, going in and out from his perspective, seeing that he was going deaf as we, the audience, were also going along with it. And then the end scene, of course, which everybody pretty much talks about that little moment of quietness uh, where he's just sort of like embracing what he's gone through and where he's going to go from there. Uh, great. Olivia Cook is good. Paul Racy's uh, great. He's my personal win. I'm not too terribly blown away by him in this, but the little it's the little things, I guess. And I keep saying the little quiet moments, but this is a very, it's a quiet movie considering most of it is in um, ASL as well until he can, until he can learn. Cause we don't have any subtitles up until he actually does learn that. But no, Sound of Metal is my number one film of the year. I think it's brilliant. It is on Amazon as we said. So yeah. Riz no, Ahmed, very nice. just so fucking good. 
I'm kidding. It's good. I like it. <laughs> See, I can be appreciative of your favorite film. I was appreciative of yours. Is it my fault? I'm very facial organized. <laughs> very nice. All right. Well, you know, if you're a listener to the podcast, you know, we always like to give some honorable mentions and these lists are very hard to come up with. So we're going to give some attention to some other films um, that we really enjoyed may have come close. And so Zay, would you like to take us away with some of your, with your um, honorable mentions? I would love to. Um, First we have this documentary series. It's 14 hours long. It was called women make film that uh, TS, TCM put together, well, they, they, I, they distributed it, um, of this guy who went together and just like, women don't get talked about enough in filmmaking. Let's change that. And it's just 14 hours going subject to subject of different films. And it's just beautiful. And it's just very relaxing and just very knowledgeable. I really liked it. Um, then we have World of Tomorrow 3 which I love those short films. Um, I think they occupy a very specific feeling, a very specific space and time. And I love the humor of them. I love like what they have to say. I just hope he keeps making them because I love them. Um, then we have one of the most 2020 films that 2020 films could 2020. And that is the horror film Host which was filmed over Zoom and it was absolutely terrifying, especially if you just watch it on your laptop in the dark. Oh my God. The thing they do on there is so fucking fun. <laughs> Scary. Um, Christian doing his best impression. Um, and then A Son, which had some talks because it was dropped on Netflix in like January and is a... Uh, Taiwan sorry Mm. Um, basically a very melodramatic like family story Um, where like unfortunate shit just keeps happening and they're just trying to do their best and it's just beautiful and tragic and I just love a good melodrama and then uh, Time which is also an excellent documentary um, about you know a man being um, put in incarceration and his wife basically making videos for him for, you know, so he can feel like he's still a part of their lives. Um, Then the Netflix documentary, My Octopus Teacher, which I thought was just absolutely just, it reminded me of like good Animal Planet content when Animal Planet was still good. It was this very serene documentary about this octopus this man made friends with. Um, the Netflix film, the half of it, which was also at the beginning of the year that I was a big um, proponent for. Um, lesbian coming of age, very cute. Alice Wu is a fantastic director. Um, I hope we don't have to wait so long for her next feature because we waited too long in between. I think she has a very important voice. And finally, which Christian was mad because he thought we were going to put it on the list, Nomadland. Because I, I really like Nomadland. I'm not as big on it as the, what seems to be the general consensus for the year of 2020, but I still think it's a very beautiful film and a very real film. And Chloe Zhao should not be doing a Marvel movie, but maybe she'll do something good with it. 
Very nice. From the from the ones you mentioned that I've seen, I do agree. Very good stuff. All right. So my honorable mentions, I went with like 10 or so that um, I really loved. The first one and Christian, this was on my list until I saw identifying features was Nomadland. Um, hey, Chloe Zhao, I, I still would, would put her in a director lineup. She, she just, nobody captures uh, the, the middle and Western America the way she does, in my opinion. Um, it was on my list that I originally posted online for In Session Film and... Um, Maybe someday it'll go back on there. Uh, my two favorite documentaries of the year that I really <sighs> struggled leaving off were Time, which Zay mentioned, and David Byrne's American Utopia, which I knew nothing about David Byrne going into, but it's directed by Spike Lee, and it's just like, it, it's something special. Um, really great concert film, which I'm usually not huge into. One that... I was surprised to not appear on one of our lists was driveways. Um, great, just great personal drama, outstanding performance by Brian Denny, um, who has gotten some attention for it and should be getting a lot more. Um, his final role, I believe. Mm -hmm. so, um, Minari, like Christian mentioned, was very close as well. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which also appeared on Christian's list. The other Spike Lee movie, The Five Bloods, um, which was definitely on my list earlier in the year. I'm Thinking of Ending Things, Zay's number one I had. Uh, Wolfwalkers, another one that was mentioned. And um, as they did, I you know want to give a shout out to the entire Small Axe series because um, they're all very good in some way or another. I had more honorable mentions, but I took them off if they were in the list. So just to... That's fair. That um, also, you should see Stop Making Sense, which is the um, original Talking Heads um, concert film. Very good. Jonathan Demi, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I didn't need to see that. Christian, what do you got? Okay, so for mine, I have um, Never Rarely, Sometimes Always, hmm. which, yeah, really like that one. Another quiet movie. I like the quiet types, I guess. Um, another one I liked was Happiest Season, which I don't know if too many people liked it. I know there was like a lot of talk about it, but when I watched it, I really enjoyed that. Um, that is on Hulu, and it's a great Christmas movie, so wait until December to watch it. Uh, what else do I have here? Pieces of a Woman, which I enjoyed. Brad did not. <laughs> it's okay. It. It's okay. What did you say, Zay? I haven't seen it yet. Okay, it's on of, Netflix. A friend of mine told me I have to see it, but the whole Shia LaBeouf stuff. Is <laughs> um, I also have a documentary, John Lewis, Good Trouble. Yes. And John Lewis passed away last year, and that was a really great documentary. You get to learn about his life. So also read his book, the March series, um, graphic novels for those. Soul, which we've talked about. One that we didn't talk about yet for Defy Bloods. Spike Lee's film, really enjoyed that. So he had that, and then he had the one that Brett was speaking about, um, American Utopia. And uh, Driveways actually did make my honorable mentions. Brian Dennehy is so good in that. And the 40-year-old version, which we've talked about. And then one big honorable mention for me, which neither of you two saw, which you definitely should, it's on Amazon Prime. It is What the Constitution Means to Me. Mm -hmm. And it is another filmed live on Broadway uh, situation directed by Mariel Heller. She does the adaptation of it. And it is incredible. It is, let me get her name right. 
where is it? Heidi. Her name is Heidi. Heidi Shrek. And it is from her perspective, growing up doing constitution, what literally competitions, what the constitution means to me. You take a specific point of the constitution, apply it to your life and say why it is important. She does this in a Broadway theater setting. It's funny. It's very personal. They do a wonderful debate, her and another girl from uh, the New York City public schools. They do a debate on if the constitution should be abolished or not. And then they have the audience decide and the answers may surprise you. Then again, we are catering here to a, I would say predominantly white affluent people who can afford Broadway tickets. But yeah, it's a great film. And I pretty, it doesn't say on Letterboxd that it's on Amazon, but I'm pretty confident it's still on Amazon because that's where I saw it. Yeah. Very nice. I didn't realize Mary Huller directed that. That's cool. Yeah. Well, yes, you've heard it here. Our top 10 films of the year 2020. Hoping for good things as we begin the year 2021, another great year of movies. Um, I always, I, I love these ones, these countdowns and hearing, um, what you both have and trying to guess what you both have and whatnot is always fun. So um, this is great. Um, thanks for listening as always. Um, as always, rate, review, subscribe, wherever you listen. Um, it's always helpful to us. Um, appreciate all that. Next time, Zay will be back with us very soon as we dive into 2016, the 89th Academy Awards, where Moonlight won Best Picture um, I think that'd be a pretty big one for all of us because we were, you know, all definitely kind of, you know, um, I mean, it was four years ago, four or five years ago. So following it at that time. Um, yeah, looking forward to that. Keep an eye out for it. Um, thanks as always to Joshua Arnoldi for doing our theme music and Zay, thanks as always for joining us. Any final thoughts from you? Um, no, no thoughts. Only, only empty head. all right christian anything from you i am thinking of ending this episode (laughs) fuck (laughs) get out get out of here we're gonna leave it at that